Welcome, welcome once again. Shalom, shalom, everyone. World changers. Tonight is going to be an awesome night. We're going to get into Proverbs. We're going to get into the wisdom of Solomon again. We're going to get into the odes of Solomon. Tonight I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to compare the Masoretic and the uh, Septuagint on uh, the a few of the uh, chapters in, in Proverbs. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see some of the differences there. And uh, I'm going to talk about it and all that, all that kind of thing. Uh, as always, you guys, um, you're welcome to, if you're joining us new on TikTok or on Podbean, and uh, there might be a few new people over there on YouTube or any of the other channels, uh, feel free feel free to uh, drop comments or questions into the live chat, and I will get to them as, as, I, as I can. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into the book of Proverbs, and I got... On the left-hand side, I have the Mesoretic. On the right-hand side, I have the Septuagint. Much of it is very, very similar. However, let's just kind of go through some of this, some of these uh, things, and and have a look, and uh, and see what we have and the, the differences, as well as as learning and being encouraged uh, in regards to what Proverbs actually says here. So, Proverbs chapter four, verse one. I'm going to start on the left-hand side over here. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Very, very similar to what we have in the Septuagint. Um, verse 2, For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. In the Septuagint, it says good, a good gift. I give you a good gift. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, now, in the Septuagint, it says different than just when I was my father's son, tender, but rather for I, w- I also was a son obedient to my father and loved in the sight of my mother. So it's different there. Verse 4, He also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. In the Septuagint, who spoke and instructed me, saying, Let our speech be fixed in your heart. Keep our commandments, forget them not. Notice we have the hour here. Now, this hour, the second hour in the Septuagint is added, but the first hour is different than my. My over here in the, in the Masoretic hour in the Septuagint. Verse 5, Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. In the Septuagint, it just has, do not neglect the speech of my mouth. So get only about half of that verse. Verse 6, do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. The Septuagint, let, and excuse me, and forsake it not and it shall cleave unto you. Love it, and it shall keep you. So in the Masoretic, it says her and she, but in the Septuagint is it. Verse 7 in the Masoretic, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. It's not even in the Septuagint at all. 
exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you, when you embrace her. Again, this is quite, this is different. Secure it instead of exalt her. Secure it and it shall exalt you. Honor it and it, that it may embrace you. Okay. In the Masoretic, she will, she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. The Septuagint, that it may give unto your head a crown of graces and may cover you with a crown of delights. Again, that's quite a bit different than what we have there in the Masoretic. Verse 10, Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Verse 10 over here in Proverbs, Hear, my son, and receive my words, and the years of your life shall be increased, that the resources of your life may be many. Verse 11, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. Verse 11 here, For for I teach you the ways of wisdom, and, and I cause you to go in right paths. Verse 12, When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Septuagint, for when you go, your steps shall not be straightened, and when you run, you shall not be distressed. Verse 13, take firm hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Keep her, for she is your life. Verse 13, take hold of my instruction. This is in the Septuagint. Let it not go, but keep it for yourself for your life. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Septuagint, go not in the ways of the ungodly, neither covet the ways of transgressors. Verse 15, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it and pass on. Verse 15 in the Septuagint, in whatever place they shall pitch their camp, Go not there, but turn from them and pass away. Verse 16, and they, for they shall not sleep unless they have done evil. In verse 16 here, for they cannot sleep unless they have done evil. Their sleep is taken away and, and they rest not. It says here, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. Verse 17 in the Masoretic, For they eat bread, eat the bread of wickedness, and drink the wine of violence. Proverbs, For they, or for, for these live upon the bread of ungodliness and are drunken with the wine of transgression. Verse 18, But the path of the just is like the, the shining sun that, sh that shines ever brighter unto the perfect, the perfect day. Verse 18, the Septuagint, But the ways of the righteous shine like light. They go on and shine until the day be fully come. 
In the Masoretic, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. In the Septuagint, but the ways of the ungodly are dark. They do not know how they stumble. Verse 20 in the Septuagint, or in the Masoretic, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ears to my, to my sayings. Very similar again in the Septuagint. Just, uh, verse 21, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, this is different, quite different in the Septuagint. That your fountains may not fail you, keep them in your heart. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Pretty much the same in the Septuagint. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs spring the issues of life. Very similar in the Septuagint. 24, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Again, pretty similar in the Septuagint. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Same in the Septuagint. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet and, and let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. And in the Septuagint, it says, do not turn aside to the right nor to the left, but turn away your foot from, e from an evil way. For God knows the ways. Okay, so this is added. This is These things are added. These verses are added. For God knows the ways on the right hand, but those on the left are crooked. And he, make, and he will make your ways straight and will guide your steps in peace. Okay, guys. Now, just out of... Um, just out of curiosity, as I always say, it's you You guys are, this is all about you guys. So what I'm going to do here, instead of reading every, like, the next four, four chapters in Proverbs, um, reading them in both the Masoretic and the Septuagint like I just did, I am going to... Um, Put a poll on YouTube right now and ask you guys, do you want me to do that or do you want me just to rate, read straight on either the Septuagint or the Masoretic? Now, okay, I'll give you a few minutes to let, let me know uh, what you would rather have. If you can just um, vote if you, if you want to uh, let me know what you want me to do. Should I read it like I have just read it just now or read the Masoretic only or the Septuagint only? In the meantime, let's see what we have here. Travis asked the question, sorry, how are they different from the Bible? Well, both of them are actually the Bible. Um, they're, both, they're both the Bible, just different Bibles. Uh, the Septuagint is actually, uh, most people believe uh, that uh, we have a lot of historical evidence that shows us that the Septuagint is actually the, the, the scriptures that the early believers read, like, you know, like 
Jesus himself, the 12 disciples, the early church fathers, uh, and you know that, that kind of thing. Uh, Masoretic didn't come into play until uh, much later. So, uh, but the Masoretic text is what is the typical Bible today is 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 uh, is from the Masoretic text. So they're both they're both uh, just different different uh, manuscript families is what they are. Voice of One says, "Is the Septuagint LXX?" Yes, sorry, yes, LXX is the Septuagint. And we have Deborah says Shalom, Shalom Deborah. Caballero says Shalom, Shalom Caballero. Great to see you guys. And those of you who are on TikTok as well, I am uh, actually live streaming simultaneously on several other platforms, including YouTube. And I just, uh, I've been comparing uh, Proverbs with like the common Masoretic text that, say, for example, King James is based off of compared that with um, the Septuagint, which is more of a, um, uh, it's, it, it is an older Bible, way older. Uh, a lot of people believe it was the Septuagint that uh, uh, Yeshua would, would have been reading or um, the 12 disciples. For sure, Paul would have been reading from the Septuagint and uh, some of the early church fathers. And so because it's a lot older, you know, approximately, uh, you know, several hundred years to a thousand years older than the Masoretic text. A lot of people believe that it is, it's more accurate. Um, but age doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily mean it's accurate in all ways. Some ways it could be. Um, Okay, see what we got here. So, so far, we have most people say, yes, read them both. Uh, that's in slightly, slightly behind that is read only the Septuagint. I'll just give that just a, maybe a couple more minutes. You know what I'll do? In the meantime, while you're voting for that, I'm going to read um, the Wisdom of Solomon. Let's read the Wisdom of Solomon while I'm waiting for all of the final votes because I know some of you guys would not be um, voting. Um, sometimes it takes a few minutes for it to come in. Uh, just get this out of the way. All right, let's get to the Wisdom of Solomon. The Wisdom of Solomon. Chapter 3. But righteous people are protected by God and will never suffer torment. It is foolish to mistake. It is a foolish mistake to think that righteous people die and that their death is a, ter is a terrible evil. They leave us, but, not, but it is not a disaster. In fact, the righteous are at peace. It might appear that they have suffered punishment, but they have the confident of uh, the confident hope of immortality. Their sufferings were minor compared with the blessings 
they will receive. God has tested them like gold in a furnace and found them worthy to be, to be with him. He has accepted them just as he accepts the sacrifices which his worshipers build or burnt, burn on the altar. When God comes to reward the righteous, they will blaze out against the wicked like fire in dry straw. They will rule over nations and peoples, and the Lord will be their king forever. Those who have put their trust in God will come to understand the truth of his ways. Those who have been faithful will live with him in his love. For he is kind and merciful to the ones whom he has chosen. The ungodly, however, will get punishment, or will get the punishment their wicked thoughts deserve, because they rebelled against the Lord and ignored what is right. A man who has no use for wisdom or education has a miserable life in store for him. He has nothing to hope for. His labors are useless, and he will never accomplish anything worthwhile. The woman he marries will turn out to be irresponsible, and his children will go wrong. All his descendants will be under a curse. On Judgment Day, God will reward the woman who has never been able to have a child, provided she has not been guilty of adultery. Then she will be happy. On that day, even the man who has been castrated will be rewarded with happiness if he has kept the law and has not and is not stored up resentment against the Lord. Because he has been faithful, he will receive a special reward more precious than having children, a place in the Lord's heavenly temple. Honest deeds are like a tree that bears marvelous fruit. Wisdom is like a root that is alive and can always send up new shoots. But children born of adultery or of a forbidden union will die an early death. Yet even if they do live a long time, they will never amount to anything. They will not be respected in their old age. And if they die young, they will have no hope or comfort on Judgment Day. Children born of a forbidden union suffer a miserable fate. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 4. Now, once again, I'm just... I'm just uh, for those of you who are listening, if you have not voted in the poll on YouTube yet, uh, please do so while I'm reading this. Uh, the question is, shall I read both the, both the Septuagint and the Masoretic texts in the book of Proverbs? So far, yes is coming out ahead, and uh, slightly less than that is read only the Septuagint. So please vote if you haven't voted yet. On YouTube there. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. It is better to have virtue, even if it means having no children. Your virtue will be recognized by other people and by God, and you will be remembered for it forever. Virtue provides an example for people to follow. 
When it is not there, they miss it. It has always been the finest prize a person can win, and it always will be so. It is the noblest of all good qualities a person can have. No matter how many children are born to a forbidden union, none of them will ever amount to anything. They are illegitimate. They can never lay a firm foundation for themselves, never take deep root. Like trees with shallow roots, they they put out leaves for a while, but they sway in the wind and storms uproot them. Their branches snap off before they mature. Their fruit never ripens, and it is good for nothing. On Judgment Day, children born of a forbidden union will testify to the sin of their parents and act as witnesses against them. Righteous people, however, will find rest even if they die young. We honor old age, but not just because a person has lived a long time. Wisdom and righteousness are signs of maturity that should come with old age. Once there was a man named Enoch who pleased God, and God loved him. While Enoch was still living among sinners, God took him away, so that evil and falsehood could not corrupt his mind and soul. This is interesting because we don't have these details in in the book of Genesis or the book of Jasher, by the way. This, This is the only place we have this the the actual purpose of why God took Enoch away. So that evil and falsehood could not corrupt his mind and soul. That just goes to prove how powerful uh, how powerful influence is and how important it is to be around the right influence. Be around the right people. Very, very important. Verse 12, we all know that people can be so fascinated by evil that they cannot recognize what is good even when they are looking right at it. Innocent people can be so corrupted with desire that they can think of nothing but what they want. This man, Enoch, achieved in a few years' time a perfection that other people can never attain in a complete lifetime. The Lord was pleased with Enoch's life and took him out of this wicked world. People were aware of his departure but didn't understand. They never they never seemed to learn the lesson that God is kind and merciful to his own people. He protects those whom he has chosen. So let me just let me just quickly Let me just quickly say something here. See, God is kind and merciful. It doesn't say to everybody, to his own people. And it says he protects those whom he has chosen, which obviously implies that there are people that he has not chosen. So he protects those whom he has chosen, which implies that there are people that he has not chosen. And therefore, it doesn't say that he protects them here. Verse 16, even the righteous people are dead and gone, 
yet, uh, excuse me, they put to shame the wicked people who live on after them. In their old age, the wicked will be disgraced by young people who are already achieve, who have already achieved perfection. The wise may die young, but the wicked will never understand that this is the Lord's way of taking them off to safety. You know what? Let me just... This is very, very interesting because this is very much like um, Isaiah chapter 57. So let me just quickly go on over here again. This is something that I have not... I, I didn't plan to do, but since it is... Since we got this, let's let's do it. Uh, uh, not Psalm fifty-one, Psalm fifty-seven. Yeah, Psalm fifty-seven. The righteous perish. It's talking about death, and no one takes it to heart. In other words, no one understands it. the de- The devout are taken away, meaning death, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. The righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Very, very similar to what we read in the Wisdom of Solomon. Um, And by the way, that's very similar to what we read in the book of Jasher, chapter 5 as well, talking about the flood of Noah, um, actually just previous to the flood, he took away, he took away all the righteous people before the flood came in uh, to spare them from the evil to come, i.e. the flood. Okay, so we know that, of course, he he saved the eight people. He, he protected them and saved them, but there were a lot of righteous people that came before them that got, God waited until they died first. Then the, then the flood came. Then the evil came. So that lines up with, Isaiah 57, and also Wisdom of Solomon. Again, this is in the Apocrypha, by the way. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 17. The wise may may die young, but the wicked will never understand that it is the Lord's way of taking them off to safety. They make light of a person's death, but the Lord will soon be laughing at them. When they die, they will not be given an honorable burial. Even the dead will hold them in scorn and disgust forever. God will throw them to the ground and make them speechless. Like buildings shaken from their foundations, they will be reduced to piles of ruin. They will be in torment. People will soon forget all about them. They will come in, they will come in fear to the judgment where their sins will be counted. They will stand condemned by their own lawless actions. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Let me just see what we have here in the chat before we read the other things psalm 94 asks a question about what is class classed as a forbidden union and one john i agree with you one john people who have been 
um, people that are together, that's not it's not God's will. I mean, it, you could expand that as well to say that those who are together, because there are there are people that marry and they still are they're not married according to God's will, and and that's the same that that uh, would would apply as well. Tammy says, "Shalom all here with the group again. Wow, awesome! Welcome, welcome everyone." Blessings, blessings multiplied to you guys. And we got Sergeant R with us again. Sergeant R, good to see you, brother. How you doing? How you doing? Okay, so we are going to read Proverbs chapter 5 and the, the result of the poll says quite overwhelming overwhelming excuse me overwhelmingly yes read both the septuagint and the masoretic versions of the proverbs all right guys we'll do that um so i'll end that poll it's like more than half of you how many 14 vote 14 votes and more than half of you says yes wow okay so i'll end that poll and uh, let's get to it Proverbs chapter 5, side-by-side, Masoretic and Septuagint. For those of you who are new, just joining us over there on YouTube. Hey, if you're on TikTok and if you don't have me open on YouTube, you might you might want to check it out because um, you can't even, I mean, you can't see what I'm reading, but on YouTube you can. Uh, and I'm live there too, all right? So I'm, I'm streaming live both here and there. Um, and I'm sharing my screen so you can, you can, uh, you can see what I'm doing. Uh, if you want to do that, just go over to YouTube, search for Christopher Enoch. Christopher Enoch should be the first thing that, that pops up, and I'm live there right now. So uh, another way to go to get there is just go to my bio on TikTok, and you'll find a link in my bio to my YouTube channel. Okay, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 in the Masoretic. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. Very, very similar uh, to in the Septuagint. Let me see, because there's a there's a footnote there's a footnote next to the word lend here. And it's different in the Septuagint. It says apply, not lend. But let's see what it says here in the Septuagint or in the footnotes. It says bow, bow. Okay, so I suppose that could be translated as lend or apply as well. And just all right, verse two, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Now in the Septuagint, it says that you may keep good understanding and the discretion of my lips give you a charge. Give no heed to a worthless woman. Okay, so in the Septuagint, it seems to kind of combine a couple of the verses here at least partial verses all together in one. Uh, and you see there it is a difference. Uh, verse 3 of Proverbs chapter 5, Masoretic text. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Immoral in the footnote, a strange, strange woman. And again, in the Septuagint, it says worthless woman. Uh, so... The lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So the Septuagint says, give heed, give no heed to a worthless woman, for honey drops from the lips of a harlot 
who for a season pleases your your palate. Hmm, very interesting. Difference, difference, difference. Doesn't say anything about oil at all. Verse 4 in the Masoretic text, uh, but in the end, she is as bitter, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Proverbs 5, verse 4, but afterwards you will find her more bitter than gall and sharper than a two-edged sword. Verse 5 in the Masoretic, her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell, or Sheol, the grave. In the Septuagint, for the feet of, of folly lead those who deal with her down to the grave with death, and her steps are not established. Again, there's a lot more here than there is here. Hmm. Verse 6 in the Masoretic. Uh, lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Again, verse 6, For she goes not upon the paths of life. That's a lot different than you ponder her path of life. But her ways are slippery and are not easily known. Hmm. Her ways are unstable versus that her ways are slippery. Quite different, as we see here. Verse 7 in the Masoretic. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Septuagint. Now then, my son, hear me, and make not your words of make not my words of none effect. I suppose that's very it, that could mean pretty much the same thing, but saying it in a very different way. Verse 8, remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her, of her house. This is the Masoretic text. In the Septuagint, remove your way far from her, draw not nigh, or draw not near uh, to the doors of her house. Pretty much the same. Verse 9 in the Masoretic, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Verse 9 over here, lest you give your life to others and your substance to the merciless. Again, could you could say it says pretty much the same thing there, just different, vast, different ways of saying it. Verse 10 in the Masoretic, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Septuagint, lest strangers be filled with your strength and your labors come into the houses of strangers. Now, over here, to give to do it uh, justice, there is a footnote beside the word wealth here. It says literally strength. Okay, so we see here that the Septuagint is more literal in, in this, right? Verse 11 of the Masoretic, And you shall mourn... And excuse me, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Septuagint, and you repent at last when the flesh of your body is consumed. Okay, so here we see repent being being synonymous with mourning. Uh, verse twelve, Masoretic, and say, 
how have I, how I have hated instruction, and my heart despises correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who have who instructed me. Hmm. I read two verses there. I realize. In the Septuagint, and you shall say, How have I hated instruction in my heart, avoided reproofs? Pretty, pretty much the same meaning. I, I heard not the voice of him that instructed me and taught me, neither did I apply my ear. Again, similar. In the Masoretic, Verse 14, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Septuagint, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Masoretic, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and, and running water from your own well. Septuagint, drink waters out of your own vessels and out of your own well, uh, springing wells. Now, in context here, I know it's, it might be might not be that easy to understand the full context and the meaning of this at the way um, as we're reading it like this. But this is talking about really like basically be satisfied with your own spouse. That's what it's talking about. Don't look for um, someone else's spouse, basically. Or someone else uh, be be satisfied with uh, basically drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. It's a figure of speech. Verse sixteen in the Masoretic: Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? In the Septuagint, let not waters out of your fountain be be spilt by you but let your waters go into your streets. Verse 17, Masoretic, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Again, this is talking about um, intimate relations, obviously. Verse 17 there in the Septuagint, uh, let them be only your own and let no stranger partake with you. Verse 18, in in the Masoretic, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Septuagint, let 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 your fountain of water be truly thine own and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Verse 19, in the Masoretic, as a loving deer and a grateful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and and always be enraptured with her love. Septuagint, let your loving heart and your graceful cult company with you, and let her be considered your your own, and be with you at all times, for ravished with her love, you shall be greatly increased. That's quite a bit different, isn't it? Isn't that quite a bit different? We see that it doesn't say anything about breasts in here, in the Septuagint. Um, and, I mean, it, 
it it really it really adds a lot more to it here in the Septuagint. Moving on, verse 20 in the Masoretic. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Verse 20 in the Septuagint. Be not intimate with a strange woman, neither fold yourself in the arms of a woman not your own. Hmm. Again, it's quite different, right? We don't hear things like seductress over here in the Septuagint. It's quite different. You know, like as I read this, I'm thinking, you know, how important to actually, you know, how important it is to actually know both versions, right? To know both versions. And again, keep in mind, the evidence that we have uh, would lead us to believe that the, pro- the, the Septuagint version of the Proverbs would be the one that is more read and well-known by the New Testament believers and the early church fathers. But it's good to have both. Um, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 in the Masoretic, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Ponders in the footnotes. Uh, observes literally ways. So in the Septuagint, for the ways of man are before the eyes of God, and he looks on all his paths. Verse 22, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Septuagint, iniquities ensnare a man, and everyone is bound in the chains of his own sins. Verse 23 in the Masoretic, and he shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Septuagint, such a man dies with the uninstructed. Hmm, that's different, isn't it? Instead of he shall die for lack of instruction, it's such a man dies with the uninstructed. And he shall cast forth the abundance of his own substance, and he ha- and has perished through folly. Yeah, I, it's just so it's so much more we get from this, isn't it? When we do it this way, from the abundance of his own substance is not in the Masoretic. Chapter six, Masoretic. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Septuagint, son, my is not in the original. Son, if you have become surety for your friend, you shall deliver your hand to an enemy. Hmm. That's different than if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger. You shall deliver your hand to an enemy. For, moving on with the Septuagint, verse 2, for a man's own lips become a strong snare to him, and he is caught with the lips of his own mouth. Honestly, I think that the Septuagint in this passage actually kind of is smoother 
and and flows better than the Masoretic. By the way, again, for those of you who are just new to this, the Masoretic is the typical uh, manuscript, the family of manuscripts that are uh, uh, that the King James is based on, the New King James, and most of the other English translations are based on the Masoretic. So, moving on. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend. Septuagint, son, do what I command you and deliver yourself, for on your, your friend's account you are come into the power of evil men. Faint not, but stir up even your friend for whom you, you are become surety. Hmm. Again, quite different. Verse 4, Masoretic. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Septuagint. Give not sleep to your eyes, nor slumber with your eyelids. Masoretic. Verse 5. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Septuagint, that you may deliver yourself as a doe out of the toils and as a bird out of the snare. Verse 6, Masoretic. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Septuagint, go to the ant, O sluggard, and see and emulate his ways and become wiser than he. It's interesting. We got her over here and his over here. Her and the Masoretic. See, the Masoretic likes to put everything as her, doesn't it? I mean, the way so far in the in the Proverbs, earlier on we read her, but in the Septuagint it said it, but here it says her, and the Septuagint says his. Verse 7, Masoretic. Which have no captain, overseer, or ruler. Septuagint. For where, whereas... He has no husband, husbandry, nor anyone to compel him, and is under no master. Verse 8, Septuagint provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Verse 8, he prepares food for himself in the summer and lays an abundant store in the harvest. Now, we've got a lot of stuff going on here in the... In the uh, in the Septuagint that we don't have in the Masoretic. All you guys who have never read the Septuagint, we got some new things going on here. So keep in mind, in the Masoretic, it just talks about the ant. Now, in the Septuagint, it goes says, or go to the bee. It doesn't say that. It doesn't mention the bee at all in the Masoretic. Go to the bee and learn how diligent she is and how earnestly she is engaged in her work. Whose laborers, whose labors kings and private men use for health. She is desired and respected by all. Though weak in body, she is, she is advanced by honoring wisdom. So all that is not in the typical Bible. Verse 9 in the Masoretic. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will, you, when will you rise from your sleep? Septuagint, how long will you lie, O sluggard? And 
when will you awake out of sleep? Verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. In the Septuagint, a little, thou sleepest a little. You sleep a little and you rest a little and you slumber a short time and you fold your arms over your breast a little. There's a lot more description there. Verse 11, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Septuagint, then poverty comes upon you as an evil traveler and want as a swift courier. Now, again, here we got something else here. That's not, none of this is in the, is in the Masoretic. But if you be diligent, your harvest shall arrive as a fountain and poverty shall flee away as a bad courier. Verse 12 in the Masoretic, a worthless person and a wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. Septuagint, a foolish man and a transgressor goes in the ways that are not good. Very different. Very different, guys. Very, very different. Verse 13, Masoretic. I mean, it's so different. I mean, it's not even... Not even the same at all. In the Masoretic, verse 13, he winks with his eyes and he, sh he shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Septuagint. And the same winks with the eye and makes a sign with his foot and teaches with the beckoning, beckonings of his fingers. A sign with his foot. That's interesting. As opposed to shuffles his feet. Now, we do have a footnote here, which says, gives signals, literally scrapes. Hmm. Now, that's, that's interesting. Again, you see, by the way, uh, you see more, it's, it's more accurate here as opposed to here. I mean, if you don't have the footnotes, it's more accurate with the Septuagint. Verse 14, Mesoretic, perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Septuagint, his perverse heart devises evils at all times such as such a one causes troubles to uh, to a city. Verse 15, Masoretic. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Septuagint. Therefore, his destruction shall come suddenly, overthrow and irretrievable ruin. Verse 16, Masoretic. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. By the way, for those of you who are uh, just a little side note here, not everything is an abomination to God. Not every sin is an abomination to God. Okay, keep, keep that in mind. Not all sin is created equal. <laughs> Not created, but not all sin is equal. Uh, so verse 16 um, in the Masoretic says, six things, six things the Lord hates, seven, an abomination to him. 
In the Septuagint, it says, For he rejoices in all things which God hates, and he is ruined by reason of impurity of soul. Completely different. Well, I mean, well, 80 to 90% different. It talks about something that God hates over here, but other than that, uh, it is all different. Verse 17 in the Masoretic, a proud look. Now, these are the things. You guys want to take and take notes. The, the, this, is a, this is like a bullet list of things that the Lord hates. A proud look in the footnotes. Literally, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Pride. A proud look. The Septuagint says, the eye of the haughty. Mesoretic, a lying tongue. Septuagint, a tongue unjust. Mesoretic, hands that, sh that shed innocent blood. Septuagint, hands shedding the blood of the just. Mesoretic, a heart that devises wicked plans. Septuagint, a heart and a heart devising evil thoughts. Masoretic, feet that are swift in running to evil. Subtuagent, and feet hastening to evil. Now, these are in italics, so I'm not going to even bother reading that um, because it's not in the original anyway. Verse 19, a false witness. This is a Masoretic. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Now, let me just say this before I, before I go on. Um, six things the Lord hates. One, a proud look. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that advises wicked plans. Five, a feet, feet that are swift to running to evil. Six, a false witness that speaks lies. Seven is an abomination. One who sows discord among brethren. So, false witness that speaks lies, and one who disco sows discord among brethren, compare that with the Septuagint, an unjust witness kindles falsehoods and brings on quarrels between brethren. Verse 20, Mesoretic. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Septuagint, my son, keep the laws of your father and reject not the ordinances of your mother. 21, Masoretic, bind them continually upon your heart and tie them around your neck. Septuagint, bind them upon your soul continually and hang them as a chain around your neck. Hmm. Yeah, heart and soul. Heart, Masoretic, soul, Septuagint. Verse 22, Masoretic, when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Septuagint, whensoever you walk, lead this along and let it be with you, that it may talk with, with you when you wake, when you are awake. Hmm. Again, quite different. Verse 23, for the command, the commandment is a lamp 
and a, and a, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Septuagint, for the commandment of the law is a lamp and a light, a way of life, reproof, reproof also, and correction. Verse 24. Masoretic, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a, of this, of a seductress. Septuagint, to keep you continually from a married woman, that's different than say evil woman, and from the calumny of a calumny of a strange tongue. Hmm. Again, different. It doesn't say seductress in Septuagint. Again, verse twenty-five, Masoretic. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. Septuagint, let not the desire of beauty over, overcome you, neither be caught by your eyes, neither be captivated with your eyelids. Verse 26, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Septuagint. Septuagint, for the value of a harlot is as much as one loaf. Masoretic, and, and, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Septuagint, and a woman hunts for the precious souls of men. Septuagint, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Did I say Septuagint? That was Masoretic. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Septuagint. Shall one, shall anyone bind fire in his bosom and not burn his garments? Masoretic. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Septuagint. Or will anyone walk on coals of fire and not burn his feet? Masoretic, so is he who goes into his own, so is he who goes in into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Septuagint, so is he that goes around, goes into a married woman. He shall not be held guiltless, neither anyone that touches her. Again, notice that neighbors, we got added words here. Obviously, added words. Na neighbor added in uh, the Masoretic. Masoretic, verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Septuagint. It is not to be wondered at if one would be taken stealing, for he steals that, that when he went hungry, he may satisfy his soul. So, again, comparing here, we got in the Masoretic, it says, it's talking about despising, and then in the, in the Septuagint, it's just wondering. People do not despise, and then in the Septuagint, it says, 
uh, people basically people don't wonder at it. I think no wonder. Verse 31, Mesoretic. Yet when he is found, he is uh, he must restore sevenfold. He may give he may have to give up all the substance of his house. Septuagint. But if he should be taken, he shall repay sevenfold. And, and shall deliver himself by giving all his goods. Masoretic chapter, or I should say, verse 32. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does, does so destroys his own soul. Septuagint, but the adulterer through want of sense procures destruction to his soul. Hmm. Again, we got added words. We got woman. We got lots of different things that are added. Verse 33, Masoretic. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. Septuagint. He endures both pain and disgrace, and his reproach shall never be wiped off. Masoretic, for jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Septuagint, for the soul of her husband is full of jealousy and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Masoretic, he will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased through or though you give many gifts. Septuagint, he will not forego his enmity for any ransom, neither will he be reconciled for many gifts. Proverbs chapter 7, and just before we get to that, I'll just check in the live chat, what, how have we got here? Okay, uh, we got Gage over there on TikTok. Um, again, I appreciate your question. I appreciate your question. And um, that's, it's actually, we can get into a, a, a lengthy discussion there. Could we please just get uh, finished with reading the scriptures first? Then I'll get to your question, Gage. I'll get to your question. Um, and if you, if you want, uh, Gage, I would, I would, I would recommend you go over to YouTube because um, it's just, I can share my screen over there. You can see what I'm doing and uh, we have more of a community over there. So uh, if you, if you would like go on over to YouTube, if not, you can stay here if you want either way. Uh, just let me read the scriptures first. I'm just, I'm just dealing with uh, either the easy, like the easy uh, questions or is it maybe not easy, but, fast questions first and then uh the greetings as well greetings mark mark says shalom welcome mark good to see you
Seek the Truth in Christ says, uh, hello everyone, hello there, welcome, welcome. Says, I've been told by many Jesus did not come for the righteous. They said righteous were the Pharisees. No, far from the far from righteous. The Pharisees were far from righteous. You know, if you go through, if you go through the gospels and you highlight everything that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for doing, they were like the wickedest people ever. Like they were super wicked, those Pharisees. They were they were not they were not righteous at all. Yeah, they don't believe righteous people existed. Yeah, I mean, I, I posted a video over there. I, I actually I posted a video on TikTok and on YouTube as well of over a hundred instances in the scriptures where it talks about righteous people. Sometimes it talks about a righteous man. Sometimes it talks about a righteous woman. Sometimes it talks about a righteous group of people. Sometimes it talks about a righteous congregation. Sometimes it talks about a righteous nation. Um, so yeah, there are righteous people out there for sure. And Luke, I mean, right, right within the gospels, we have righteous Simeon, we have righteous, uh, righteous Simeon, who was uh, part of the, you might call it like the, almost like the dedication of baby Jesus, so to speak, you know, Simeon, um, and righteous Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter one, verses five and six. We got lots of we got righteous people. We do. There are there are righteous people that exist. Yeah, I was taught that too. I was taught that um, that the Pharisees were like super righteous. You know that they were so good. They they knew the law so well. If Paul was a Pharisee, <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I, you know, righteous Pharisees were not, at least according to the Gospels, according to Jesus, according to Irenaeus too, the writings of Irenaeus, early church father, he made it very clear too, the, the Pharisees were known for being hypocritical, even amongst, like, in, in the world, they were known for being hypocritical. Uh, they were not known for being righteous. They were known for having God on their lips. They would talk about God. They would talk about the law. They would talk like, you know, talk whole, talk about things that are holy, but they would certainly not live it or, you know, or, or behave in, an, in a very holy manner. And look at what Yeshua said, like how they, they uh, are very cruel people. They take advantage of widows. They... Uh, like look at all the things they do. They're very, they're not very good people at all. Vida says, Shalom all, Elohim bless you all. Shalom Vida, Elohim bless you more. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So Fountains for Life on TikTok says, Paul isn't saying righteous people don't exist. A lot of people would, would disagree with that, especially when he says there is none righteous, no, not one. I mean, hey, uh, I'm amazed at how people will bend over back. They bend over backwards so so hard, they'll, they'll break their back for Paul. Like, let's, let's, just, let's just call him, like, let's just 
call him what he is. I mean, if he says something that's wrong, it's wrong. Okay. If he says something that's good, it's good. Okay. And, and I've said very clearly that he said both good things and bad things. And just because he's in the Bible, doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything. It just means that men put him there. That's all. But people are so bibliol that they are so idolatrous of their Bible canon. They're willing to bend over backwards. They're willing to break their back for Paul. One John says, uh, "Is your Brenton Septuagint a parallel text that shows the Masoretic also? No, it's not. That would be a good a good Bible to get as well. Uh, yeah, one that's parallel." And something that's similar to that Samaritan text that I got that actually like highlights the differences. That would be good to have. Definitely. Going nowhere says, do you think the Antichrist is alive today? First of all, I mean, I, I have not definitively even said that, that uh, you know, uh, that these are you know, that the world's going to end in the, in the next decade or even 50 years. I, I, I can't say that. I can't say the world's going to end in another 100 years. So, um, no, I can't say if the Antichrist is alive today. Um, I mean, just when you think it's, it's, it's bad, it, it gets worse. So, I mean, hey, it could get a whole lot worse. I mean, you read the book of Revelation if that's a, you know, if that's a global thing that's that's happening everywhere, but man, we got a lot, we got a long ways to go. I mean, it could happen in the next day. It could happen in the next millennium. It could be a hundred years, 200, 500 years from now. Uh, and I'm not one to say how long it's going to be. I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good to, uh, to say, you know, to, uh, to date set even, even to the century. I, I just don't think it's good. Foundations for Life says, he's saying, this talking about Paul, he's saying no one inherently has righteousness. Well, again, that's, <laughs> you're you're obviously twisting, like you, you're playing the twist. You know that you got the old game. I'm not sure if you guys, I got, I got, by the way, there's a, I got a whole community over here on YouTube that I'm speaking to as well. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the old game Twister. This particular person is playing Twister here. I mean, he didn't say there's that what was what was it? Paul didn't say Paul isn't saying righteous people don't exist. He's saying no one inherently has the righteousness that God accepts in themselves. That's in accordance with the modern corrupt Christian narrative, but that's not in accordance with the scriptures. It says blatantly in the scriptures Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25, if you, if you obey these commands, that will be your righteousness. I mean, that is point blank shooting down that corrupt doctrine. And here it is. Paul is literally, he is, he's literally an inspired apostle that can't be an error unless you deny divine inspiration. How do you know he's inspired? And what does what does inspired mean? Hey, like I said, I got a I got a guitar here. People inspire me to write songs. 
some of the some of the most recent songs I wrote was was inspired by somebody. Does that mean that they literally took my hand and t- forced a pen in my hand and said, "I want you to write every word word for word"? What what you know? That's not what inspiration is. Lots of people have inspired me to say things. It's not their words; it's my words. If Paul is inspired, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single word that he speaks is God's word. Paul is an error. It's very easy to to prove that Paul is an error. You want, you want, you know, hey, go on over to YouTube. I'll bring you on as as a live guest on video, and I'll show you. And all of us will have a great time watching you try to play the twister. I'll show you. Paul, he can't even quote the scriptures properly most of the time. And sometimes it's completely different than what it says in the scriptures that he's quoting. If I quoted scripture as bad as Paul did, man, you guys would crucify me. If I quoted scripture as much as Paul did, you'd crucify me. If I, if, if I contradicted Scripture as much as Paul did, you would crucify me. Go on over there, Foundations for Life. Go on over to YouTube. Go on over to YouTube. I'll bring you on as a live guest. And this is this you're an easy target, man, because it's easy to prove what you're saying is wrong. It's easy. It's easy. We got we got a Paulian on our hands here. We got we got someone who is just completely hook, line, and sinker into the corrupt Christian narrative, the modern day corrupt Christian narrative. Hawks says shalom. Shalom, Hawks. Good to see you. Welcome. Going nowhere says, I I recently learned something about Judaism. There are two messiahs in Jewish eschatology. One descended from Old Testament Joseph and one descended from David. Very interesting. Yes, they call it, you know, Ben Yosef and Ben David or son of Joseph and son of David. And it's interesting that it says in the Gospels that Yeshua is both, well, both this, he was called the son of Joseph and he's also called the son of David too. But they, they believe that there are two messiahs. <laughs> Sergeant. Okay, okay. What I'll do then, because of this, Sergeant, what I'm going to do here is... Because I doubt this guy, because usually these kind of people, they don't have the courage to come on and talk to me face to face anyway. Um, hardly ever. Very, very rare to find someone with enough courage to come and talk to me face to face about these things. They hide behind their comments and then they run. So um, if this person is really, really honest, this Paulian, if this Paulian is really, really honest and uh, and really is confident about what he's, he or she, whoever it is, says, um, then 
I'm going to I'm going to read a few more proverbs. I'm going to read a few more scriptures and I'll have you on as a special guest. And if you feel cuz you see a lot of these people they believe that they're on a mission, right? They believe that they're on a um uh they're on some kind of a holy, you know, battle against against what they think is falsehood. Really, the truth of the matter is they have bought into falsehood. Therefore, the truth to them is false. They have believed a lie so long and they've never known it to be a lie. They think it's the truth. So therefore, when the truth comes along, they think the truth is a lie. But Foundations for Life, 1984. If you are honest and if you really believe that you're you're here, you know, for uh, for a what do you call it a a good purpose if you're not if you're not just trolling if you're not malicious and you really want to get the truth out and you really want to expose something that I've said that's wrong here I am right now okay but I'm going to read the scriptures first I'm going to read the scriptures first then I'll get to you on YouTube and I'll give you the link you can come right on you can talk to me you can prove me wrong if, I, if indeed I am wrong. I don't believe I am, but if you want to, bring your... And if you believe that you have the Holy Spirit, enough to say, well, you know, as you know, said, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that day. Well, guess what? If you believe you have the Holy Spirit, if you believe you have the truth, bring the Holy Spirit with you and let the Holy Spirit whisper into your ear. You have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear whatsoever. If you really have the truth, and if you really have the true Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will whisper into your ears powerful, powerful words and bring forth evidence against me, and I will be defeated. Otherwise, I will bring forth powerful, powerful evidence against the corrupt Christian narrative, and the corrupt Christian narrative will be exposed for exactly what it is. Corrupt, idolatrous. Go on over to YouTube. I'll meet you over there. But I'm going to read the scriptures uh, first. You have nothing to fear. Fear not. If you have God on your side, you have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. I like this. This is a good one, Jamie. Great one. Uh, let no one deceive you. Whenever you see something like this, so this is uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, whenever you see something like this, you know that there's something. When you see, let no one deceive you, There's that's a warning sign. Warning, warning, deception ahead. This is what people are deceived about. A lot of people are deceived about this. So John says, forget about Paul for a minute. John says, let no one deceive you. In other words, there's something, I'm, this is something that a lot of people are deceived about. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Notice it doesn't say he who receives the Lord as Lord as Savior and say the sinner's prayer is righteous just like he is righteous. He who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ is righteous just like he is righteous. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. Nada. Error. Wrong. It says he who practices righteousness. In other translation, he who does what is right. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Righteous. Thank you very much, Jamie. That is exactly what it says. 
That's a good one. Foundations for Life says, I want to be on your live, but I don't have my computer and I can't go live on my phone. Okay, there's always, always, always an excuse. I'm telling you, always an excuse. I guarantee you. I, I, I'm confident, okay? I'm confident. I've, I've spent over 30 years. I've spent over 30 years uh, in... I'm confident. It'll be lots of fun. I, I guarantee you, lots of fun. Start popping the popcorn. It'll be lots of fun for sure. I'll pull out, I'll pull out the passages that Paul quoted so badly. Just misquoted it. Just completely misquoted it. And also all the passages that completely contradicts everything that ever came before him, even though God says it's not ever to be contradicted. Anyway, that's just a little a little bit of a sneak preview of some of the things that I'm, I, I will talk to you about there, Foundations for Life. Yeah, Jamie says, and I agree with this. Uh, that verse is a glaring siren in the middle of evangelical Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah, warning, warning, warning. See, whenever you, you bring in like a, a verse like that out to these people, what they do is they always they always they always run the other way. They always go to Paul or they go or they bring out some other thing out of context. They never speak to it directly. It's like, what does this directly mean? What did J what did John actually say? What does it mean? I think it's quite clear what it means. Now Foundations for Life says, I'm requesting on TikTok because that's literally the only way I can. Uh, I've got nine other platforms I'm live streaming on simultaneously, and I'm not going to just tell them, oh, guys, wait, oh, by the way, guys, uh, I'm just going to go away here a little bit by myself with somebody on TikTok. No, go on over there. I'll give you the link so you can join with me on all those nine platforms. You can join with me. If you can do it on TikTok, you can do it on YouTube. No problem. Yeah, we got people with popcorn already over there on YouTube. And uh, like again, this is this is also broadcast broadcast to several other platforms as well. Right now I'm live on Twitch. I'm live on Facebook and VK OK D Live. Um YouTube, obviously, uh, Podbean podcast. Yeah, we got Travis with the popcorn. We got Psalm 94 says, I see Travis has popcorn already. Question for Move is enjoying it. Okay, uh, before we get too far, again, I do have a schedule. I want to make sure I get these um, these scriptures read. So I'll, I'll read these scriptures, and I did promise Foundations for Life, if Foundations for Life actually does jump on over on YouTube, I did promise that, that, he, that this person can come on with me. Um, other than that, I have to get to the... Uh, scripture reading. So let's continue with Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7 says, My son, 
keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. In the Septuagint, my son, keep my words, hide with, with, and hide with you my commandments. My son, honor the Lord, and you shall be strong, and fear none but him. Again, this is this is something that's in the, the uh, Septuagint, not in the Masoretic. Okay, so this is something that uh, could very probably be uh, original, that, that somehow uh, is not in the Masoretic at all. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 2 in the Masoretic, Keep my commands and live, and my law and my law as the apple of your eye. Proverbs 7, 2 in the Septuagint, Keep my commandments that, and you shall live, and keep my words as the pupil of your eyes. Now again, this, this term live means salvation, just like how it says, uh, you know, the just shall live by faith, the, the, the uh, very famous uh, verse that uh, the Protestant Reformation, one of, the, one of the verses anyway that Protestant Reformation was based upon. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 3, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, Septuagint, and bind them on your fingers and write them on the table of your heart. Masoretic, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. Septuagint, say, to, say that wisdom is your sister and gain prudence as an acquaintance for yourself. Hmm, that's different, isn't it? See how this stuff is so different. And this is one of the reasons why, you, I mean, there are so many different corruptions in the manuscripts, as we saw there the other night with Onia. So many different corruptions in the manuscripts. Um, you know, anybody who thinks that somehow God preserved manuscript, you know, any manuscript, you know, flawlessly is is absolutely in idolatry, bibliolatry, the idolatry of a book. Proverbs chapter seven verse. Five in the Masoretic, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Septuagint, that she may keep you from the strange and wicked woman, if she should assail you with flattering words. Verse 6, Masoretic, for at the window of my house I looked through my lattice. Septuagint, for she looks from a window out of her house into the streets at one whom she may see of the senseless ones, a young man void of understanding. It looks like, looks like there's a, a combination of two verses there. Uh, verse 7, Mesoretic, and saw, the, I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding. Verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. Messer, uh, Septuagint, again, this is a different verse now, passing by the corner in the passages near her house. Masoretic, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Septuagint, and speaking in the dark of the evening. 
Masoretic. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Septuagint. And the woman meets him having the appearance of a harlot that causes the hearts of young men to flutter. Hmm, that's quite a bit different, isn't it? Verse 11. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Septuagint. She is fickle and debauched, and her feet abide not at home. Verse 12, Masoretic. At times she was outside, and at times in the open square, lurking at every, at every corner. Septuagint, for at one time she wanders without, and in another time she lies in wait in the streets at every corner. Masoretic. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face she, she said to him, Septuagint, she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face, said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. Same as pretty much the same in the Septuagint. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. Pretty much the same in the Septuagint there. I have spread my bed in tap with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. Septuagint, I've spread my bed with sheets and I've colored it with double tapestry from, e from Egypt. Again, we have that word double. I think it's not in the Masoretic. Verse 17, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Septuagint, I have sprinkled my couch with saffron and my house with cinnamon. That's quite a bit different, isn't it? Verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Septuagint, come, let us enjoy love until morning. Come, let us embrace in love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. Septuagint, my husband is not at home. He gone on a long journey. Masoretic, he has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. Having, Septuagint, having taken in his hand a bundle of money, after many days he will return to his house. Verse 21, Masoretic, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Septuagint, so with much converse, she prevailed on him to go astray. And with the snares of her lips, forced him from the right path. Masoretic, immediately she went after, he went after her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Septuagint, and he followed, he followed her, being gent, gently led on, and that as an ox is led to the slaughter, and as a dog to bonds, or has a, or as a heart shot in the liver with an arrow. 
So that's very, very different, extremely different there. Verse 23 of the Masoretic, till an arrow struck his liver, a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Septuagint, he hastens as a bird into the sna- into a snare, knowing, not knowing that he is running for his life. Masoretic, now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Septuagint, now then. My son, hearken to me and attend to the words of my mouth. Masoretic, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Septuagint, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. This This whole thing is not in the Septuagint. Masoretic, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Septuagint, for, for she has wounded and cast down many, and those whom she has slain are innumerable. Her house is the way to hell, or to Sheol, to, to the grave, descending to the chambers of death. Septuagint, her house is is the way of hell, leading down to the chambers of death. Proverbs chapter 8. Masoretic. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? Septuagint. You shall proclaim wisdom that understanding may be obedient to you. See how different that is? So different. Verse 2. She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. Septuagint. For she is on lofty eminences and stands in the midst of the ways. Masoretic, she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. Septuagint, for she sits by the gates of the princes and sings at the entrances. Wow, is that ever different? Is that ever different? And again, for those of you who are you don't know, uh, the Septuagint is believed by many to be the most accurate to the original manuscripts. So she cries out, saying, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Septuagint, you, O men, I exhort, and utter my voice to the sons of men. Verse 5. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Septuagint, O you simple, understand subtlety, and you are, and you that are untaught, imbibe knowledge. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. Septuagint, hearken to me, 
where I will speak solemn truths and will produce right sayings from my lips. Masoretic, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Septuagint, for my throat shall meditate truth, and false lips are an abomination before me. Verse 8, Mesoretic, all the words of my youth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Pretty much the same on, on the uh, Septuagint, so I'll just skip that one. Verse 9, they are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Septuagint, they are all evident to those that understand and write to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver, my knowledge rather than choice gold. Septuagint, receive instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than tried gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. In all things, one desire cannot be compared with her. Septuagint. For wisdom is better than, than precious stones. Hmm, doesn't say rubies there. And no, and no valuable substance is of equal worth to it. Or with it. Again, we got her in the Masoretic and it in the Septuagint. Verse 12, Septuagint, or excuse me, Mesoretic. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. Septuagint. I, wisdom, have dealt, dwelt with counsel and knowledge, and I have called upon understanding. Verse 13, Mesoretic. The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. See, this is the problem, guys. The, there's not, there's, most of Christians today, almost all Christians today, they do not fear God. They do not fear the Lord. They do not hate evil. They have some skeleton in their closet. They love lawlessness and they preach lawlessness. But the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Septuagint, the fear of the Lord hates unrighteousness and insolence and pride and the ways of wicked men. And I hate the perverse ways of bad men. Masoretic counsel is mine in sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Septuagint counsel and safety are mine. Prudence is mine and strength is mine. Masoretic, by me kings reign and rulers decree justice. Verse 15, Septuagint, by me kings reign and princes decree justice. Verse 16, by me princes rule and nobles all 
and nobles, all the judges of the earth. Septuagint, by me, nobles become great, and monarchs, by me, rule over the earth. Septuagint, I love those who love me. Notice it doesn't say he loves everybody. And those who seek me diligently will find me. Verse 17, Septuagint, I love those that love me, and they that seek me shall find me. Doesn't say anything about diligence there in the Septuagint. Masoretic, riches and honor are, are with me, enduring riches, riches and righteousness. Verse 18, wealth and glory belong to me. Yes, abundant possessions and righteousness. Masoretic, my fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Septuagint, it is better to have fruit than to have gold and precious stones, and, 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 my, and my produce is better than choice silver. Masoretic, I traverse the way of righteousness. It's the way of righteousness. In the midst of the paths of justice. Verse 20, Septuagint, I walk in ways of righteousness and I'm conversant with the paths of judgment. Masoretic, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Septuagint, I walk in ways of righteousness and am conversant with paths of judgment. Masoretic, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. Okay, so we got an addition here. Okay. This whole addition here in the Septuagint is something you will not find in the, in the Masoretic at all. If I declare to you the things that daily happen, I will remember also to recount the things of old. The Lord made me the beginning of his ways for his works. Masoretic, I have been established from everlasting from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. Septuagint. He established me before time was in the beginning, before he made the earth. Mesoretic. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Septuagint. Even before he made the depths, before the fountains of water came forth. Verse 25, Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth. Septuagint, before the mountains were settled, and before all hills he begets me. Verse 26, While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, Septuagint, 
the Lord made countries and uninhabited tracts in the highest inhabited parts of the world. That's completely different, isn't it? Verse 27, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, Septuagint, when he prepared the heaven, I was present with him. And when he prepared his throne upon the winds. Mesoretic, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the, found, the fountains of the deep. Septuagint, when he strengthened the clouds above and, and, and secured the foundations of the earth. Mesoretic, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Septuagint, and he strengthened the foundations of the earth. Very, very short compared to the Mesoretic. Again, the Mesoretic seems to have added a lot, or the Septuagint seems to have taken out a lot. Mesoretic. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Septuagint. I was by him, suiting myself to him. I was that where... I was that wherein he took delight, and daily I rejoiced in his presence continually. Masoretic, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Septuagint, for he rejoiced when he had completed the world and rejoiced among the children of men. Very different. Masoretic. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Septuagint. Now then, my son, hear me. Blessed is the man who shall hearken to me and the mortal who shall keep my ways. The whole entirety of verse 33 is omitted from, or is just not found in the Septuagint, which means the whole thing could, could have been added in the Masoretic text. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Verse 34. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the, post, at the posts of my doors. Septuagint. Watching daily at my doors, waiting at the posts of my entrances. Verse 35. For whoever finds me finds life and, who, and, and obtains favor from the Lord. Septuagint, for my outgoings are the outgoings of life, and in them is prepared favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrong, wrongs his own soul, and all those who hate me love death. Septuagint, but they that sin against me act wickedly against their own souls. And they that hate me love death. Proverbs 9. 
after we read Proverbs 9. It's the Odes of Solomon, and then we'll get to your questions and your comments. Masoretic. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Septuagint. Wisdom has built a house for herself and has set up seven pillars. Masoretic. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. Septuagint. She has killed her beasts. She has mingled her wine in a bowl and prepared her table. Verse 3. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Septuagint, she has sent forth her servants, calling with a loud proclamation to the feast, saying, verse 4 of the Masoretic, Whosoever, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. Septuagint, whoso is foolish, let him turn aside to me. And to them that want understanding, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink wine that I have mingled for you. Leave folly, that you may reign forever. And seek wisdom, and improve understanding by knowledge. That's quite a bit different than what we have here in the Masoretic. Verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets, himself, gets shame for himself. He who, he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Septuagint, he that reproves evil men shall get dishonor to himself, and he that rebukes an, an ungodly man shall disgrace himself. Masoretic, do not correct a scoffer lest he hates you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Septuagint, rebuke not evil men lest they should hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Masoretic. Give instruction to, to, wise man, to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Septuagint. Give an, uh, give an opportunity to a wise man, and he will be wiser. Instruct a just man, and he will receive more instruction. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Again, see, the, the church, the church for the most part, does not fear the Lord. A lot of them don't even know what the fear of the, of the Lord is. Therefore, they have not even begun to even the beginning of, the under, of, of, of wisdom. They don't even know where the, where, what the fear of the Lord is. They, have, they haven't even begun to begun to be wise. Septuagint, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
And the council of saints is understanding. Here's another whole added verse, pretty much. For, for to know the law is the character of a sound mind. And again, Christians, for the most part, have no clue about the law. All they, all they know about is just what their favorite pastor or evangelist tells them, which is mostly in error. Verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. Septuagint, for in this way you shall live long and years of, of your life shall be added to you. Masoretic, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. Septuagint, son, if you, are, if you be wise for yourself, you shall also be wise for your neighbors. Ah, isn't that different? Isn't that different? And, and if you should prove wicked, you alone will bear the evil. Hmm. He that stays himself upon falsehoods attempts to rule the winds. <laughs> That's exactly what a lot of Christians are doing today, right? Ruling the winds. And the same will pursue birds in their flights, for he has forsaken the ways of his own vineyard, and he has caused the axles of his own husbandry to go astray. And he goes through a dry desert and a dry land appointed to, to drought, and he gathers barrenness with his hands. And none of that is found in the common Masoretic text. The way of folly, verse 13, Masoretic text, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Septuagint, a, fool, a foolish and bold woman who knows, who knows no modesty comes to want a morsel. Again, how different that is. How different that is. Verse 14, for she sits at the door of her house on a seat of the highest places of the city. Verse 14 in the Septuagint, she sits at the doors of her house on, the, on a seat openly in the streets. Verse 15, Masoretic, to call to those who pass by, who, will go, who, who go straight on their way, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet, and bread is eaten in secret. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, in the grave, or hell. Septuagint, calling to passers-by and to those that are going right in their ways, saying, Whoso is most senseless to, of you, let him turn aside to me, and I will exhort those that want prudence, saying, Take and enjoy secret bread and the sweet water of theft. But she knows that mighty men die by her, 
and he falls in with a snare of hell. But hasten away. Now, all this is, is not found in the typical uh, manuscripts, Masoretic manuscripts. But hasten away. Delay not in the place. Neither fix your eye upon her. For thus shall you go through strange water. But do, but do you abstain from strange water and drink not of a strange fountain? That you may live long and the years of life be added to you? All right, so um, let me just see here. We got the Odes of Solomon. And then we will get to your questions and your comments. Someone on TikTok just asked me, why aren't you on YouTube? I am on YouTube. I'm actually live there right now. If you go over to YouTube, look me up, uh, Christopher Enoch, you'll find me there. I, I'll be live right now on YouTube. And I'll be reading a few of the Odes of Solomon, and then we'll be taking your questions and your comments. Okay, uh, Ode 5. I praise you, O Lord, because I love you. O Most High, forsake me not, for you are my hope. Freely did I receive your grace. May I live by it. My persecutors will come, but let them not see me. Let a cloud of darkness fall upon their eyes and let an air of thickness obscure them. Let them have no light to see, so that they cannot seize me. Let their designs become hardened, so that whatever they have conspired shall return upon their own heads. For they have devised a plan, but it was not for them. They have prepared themselves maliciously, but they were found to be impotent. Indeed, my confidence is upon the Lord, and I will not fear. And because the Lord is my salvation, I will not fear. He is, a, oh, he is as a woven crown upon my head, and I shall not be shaken. Even if everything should be shaken, I shall stand firm. And though all things visible should perish, I shall not die. Because the Lord is with me, and I with him, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ode 6. As the wind glides through the harp and the strings speak, so the Spirit of the Lord speaks through my members, and I speak through his love. For he destroys whatever is alien, and everything is of the Lord. For thus it was from the beginning, and will, and will be until the end so that nothing shall be contrary and nothing shall rise up against him. The Lord has multiplied his knowledge and he was zealous that those things should, should be known which through his grace have been given to us. And his, and his praise he gave, he gave us on account of his name. Our spirits praise his Holy Spirit. For there went forth a stream 
and it became a river, great and broad. Indeed, it carried away everything. And it shattered and brought it to the temple. And the barriers which were built by men were not able to restrain it, nor even the arts of them who habitually restrain water. For it, for it spread over the surface of all the earth, and it filled everything. Then all the thirsty upon the earth drank, and thirst was relieved and quenched. For from the Most High the drink was given. Blessed, therefore, are the masters of that drink who have been entrusted with his water. They have refreshed the parched lips. They have arise, aroused and para, the paralyzed will. Even living persons who were not, who were, excuse me, even living persons who were about to expire, they have held back from death. And limbs which have collapsed, they have restored and set up. They gave strength for their coming and light for their eyes. Because everyone recognized them as the Lord's and lived by the living water of eternity. Hallelujah. Ode 7. As is the course of anger over wickedness, so is the course of joy over the beloved and brings in of its fruits unhindered. My joy is the Lord, and my course is towards him. This path of mine is beautiful, for there is a helper for me, the Lord. He has generous, generously shown himself to me in his simplicity, because kindness has diminished his fullness. He became like me that I might receive him. In form he was considered like me, that I might put, put him on. And I tremble not when I saw him, because he was gracious to me. Like my nature he became, that I might understand him. And like my form, that I might not turn away from him. The father of knowledge is the word of knowledge. He who created wisdom is wiser than his works. And he who created me, when yet I was not new, excuse me, he who created me, when yet I was not new, what I, the way this is worded is very, very strange. When yet I was not new, what I would do when I came into being. On account of this, he was gracious to me in his abundant grace and allowed me to ask from him and to benefit from his sacrifice. For he it is who is incorrupt, the perfection of the worlds and their father. He has allowed him to appear to them that are his own, in order that they may recognize him that made them, and not suppose that they, they came of themselves. For towards knowledge he has set his way. He has widened it and lengthened it and brought it to complete perfection. And has set over it the traces of his light. And it proceeded from the beginning until the end. 
for by him he was served, and he was pleased by his son, or by the son. And because of his salvation, he possessed, he will possess everything, and the Most High will be known by his holy ones. To announce to those who have songs of the coming of the Lord, that they may go forth to meet him, and may sing to him with joy and with the harp of many tones. The seers shall go before him, that they, and they shall be seen before him. And they shall praise the Lord in his love, because he is near and does see. And hatred shall be removed from the earth, and with jealousy it shall be drowned. For ignorance was destroyed upon it, because the knowledge of the Lord arrived upon it. Let singers sing the grace of the Lord Most High, and let them bring their songs. And let their hearts be like the day, and their gentle voices like the majestic beauty of the Lord. And let not and let there not be anyone who breathes that is without knowledge or voice. For he gave a mouth to his creation to open the voice of the mouth towards of the mouth towards him and to praise him, confess his power and declare his grace. Hallelujah. Ode eight. Open. Open your hearts to the action of the Lord, and let your love abound from the heart to the lips, in order to bring forth fruits to the Lord, a holy life, and to walk with watchfulness in his, in his light. Rise up and stand erect, you who sometimes were brought low. You who were in silence, speak, for your mouth has been opened. You who were despised, from henceforth be lifted up, for your righteousness has been lifted up. For the right hand of the Lord is with you, and he will be your helper. And peace was prepared for you before what may be your, your war. Hear the word of truth and receive the knowledge of the Most High. Your flesh may not understand that which I am about to say to you, nor your garment, that I, that which I am about to show you. Keep my mystery, you who are to, you who are to keep it. Keep my faith, you who are to keep, you are kept by it. And understand my knowledge, you who know me in truth. Love me with affection, you who love. For I turn. I turn not my face from my own, because I know them. Before they existed, I recognized them, and imprinted a seal on their faces. I fashioned their members, my own breasts I prepared for them, that they might drink my holy milk and live by it. I am pleased by them, and am not ashamed by them, for my workmanship are they and the strength of my thoughts. Therefore, who can stand against my work, or who is not subject to them? I willed and fashioned my heart, or excuse me, I willed and fashioned mind and heart 
and they were my own. And upon my right hand, I have set my elect ones. And my righteous my righteousness goes before them. And they shall not be deprived of my name, for it is with them. Pray and increase and abide and abide in the love of the Lord. And you who were who were loved in the beloved, and you who were uh, you who are kept in him who lives, and you who are saved in him who was saved, and you shall be found incorrupt in all ages on account of the name of your father. Hallelujah. All right, all right. Let's see what we got here on TikTok. We'll get you guys on YouTube in just a moment here. So Caris, 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 Sad Cat <laughs> uh, said, uh, so I'm new here. Is the premise of this teaching about the differences in the two forms of the text? Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, the question is, how are you reading this text? Is it in the original language or are you directly translating? Um, I'm, I was on YouTube, if you're still there. Uh, I'm also streaming live on YouTube right now. And so on YouTube, I had uh, my share, my my screen share was up. Uh, and um, I was reading from a couple translations. One was the NKJV and the other one was the Brenton Septuagint. Okay, see what we got here on YouTube. Um, excuse me, I'm behind here in. Jamie asked a question. So do you take a particular theory of the atonement? Um, I assume you're talking about the crucifixion resurrection you see there's a lot of holes in the modern corrupt christian narrative um there are a lot of holes there because like for example one of their holes one of the holes is well you know jesus paid it all right so jesus paid everything on the cross and it's all done it is finished on the cross but that's without the resurrection there's no there's no salvation there's no salvation without the resurrection and, you know, uh, Paul, even Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if there's no resurrection, it's all useless. Nothing works. It's vain. Your, your faith is vain. Your preaching is useless. So here's, here's, the, here's the theory. <laughs> Actually, I, it's not really a theory. It's, it's right there in black and white from Genesis to Revelation. Atonement comes primarily and it's most effective there, there are different means of atonement throughout the scriptures there is um i'll start with the least the, the the least effective which is blood sacrifices the least effective how do why do i say it's least effective because many times there were blood sacrifices made and god rejected them because of their sin which means hey that meant nothing to me because your sin because of your sin which i mean that should that should say to us 
that the blood did not cover their sin. The blood sacrifice did not pay a debt because the debt was, I mean, the, I hate to say, that whole allegory is, is horrendous. I mean, the sin was still there and God still counted them as sinners and God still rejected them. Um, I mean, look at Saul, for example, right? King Saul, he made the blood sacrifice and he was rejected because of it. He was rejected because of it. He didn't do it properly, according to the law. Uh, and so, and many other cases as well, like again, Amos chapter 5, um, uh, so many of them. Uh, Amos chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 1, Psalm chapter 51, uh, 1 Kings chapter, I mean, it's all the way through. Uh, so atonement, okay, blood is the least effective. Other means of atonement, according to the law of God, according to the word of God, is atonement money, which they call, um, or giving alms, okay? That's in the book of Numbers, and that's actually even fulfilled and referred to in Acts chapter 10 because of Cornelius was giving alms, and therefore it was brought up as a memorial before the Lord in fulfilling of that atone, that atonement, the atonement money, the atonement, uh, as you, it's all there. It's all there in, in, in Numbers, in the Torah. We see it in the book of Acts chapter 10. Again, because some people would say, you know, when, if you say anything about it being in the Gospels, they would say, well, that was before the cross. Well, this was after the cross. It doesn't, doesn't matter before or after. It's all eternal anyway. It's all the eternal word of God. It's after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension. So blood is on the bottom. You got atonement money is another one. Um, there is flour. Uh, that is spoken of in Leviticus chapter 5. If you can't afford to buy a lamb, which lambs were expensive, as they are still today, then two turtle doves. But if you can't buy two turtle doves, then just bring flour, as in the same stuff you make bread with. That was an atonement. Uh, or I should say, that was a sin sacrifice. No blood. Um, prayer was a, is a big one. We read that all the way through the scriptures. And repentance is the top one, the most effective means of atonement, repentance. So if, if the death and resurrection of Yeshua does not bring you in line with, the, with, with any or all of those, then it, what good is it? It has to change your life. It has to give you power to repent. If, if you don't have power to repent, you'll end up in the same category as those in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And so, you know, and Jesus made it very clear. I don't come for, you know, I don't come for the righteous, implying there are righteous people there. If the righteous, if if there were no righteous people there, that would be absurd. That would be insane for him to say something, you know, such a thing. He would say what Paul says. Well, there is none righteous. But he didn't say that. He said, I don't come for the righteous. You got you got your righteous. You got Simeon. You got Zechariah. You got Elizabeth and all those like them. As it says in the Gospels, you got those are your, I don't come for them. They don't need me. I come for the sinners to, why? To, to tell them to pay for their sins, to cover their sins with my, no, to, to call them to repentance, right? So it's all about repentance. That's what it's all about, all about. 
Foundations for Life says I'm here. Okay, Foundations for Life. I'll get you that link in just a moment. Okay. Will says when people replace Paul as being the new replacement covenant, this is what we get. The thing is, they, these people don't even understand what covenant is, and and they and they put Paul as the the most the highest authority over every other prophet or priest or scribe or king in this in the scriptures, where Paul is actually not even close to that. Uh, I'm just reading some of Foundation for Life's uh, chat here because uh, obviously Foundations for Life, man, you, you got a lot to learn. You got a lot to learn. Very very Paulian, I see. Yeah, Vinny says, man can be an error, not God. I totally believe that. And uh, as we know that the scriptures came to us by man, in its original form, it came by man. And it was copied by man, hundreds of times by man. The scripture, the scribes, which Jesus had no good things to say uh, about. Jesus had no good things to say about the scribes. They were the ones who copied the scriptures by man. Um so uh, that's why we got so many manuscript variations and so many errors. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, there's so many comments here. I'm just going to search for the ones that are labeled at Christopher. In the meantime here, also, I will get uh, the live chat. Okay, so the link, the link to join this live, to come on live with me is in the description. The link is in the description right now, so you can use that link. Jamie says, Paul quoted Isaiah when he said, like filthy rags. So where, where, did, where did Paul quote Isaiah? Can you give me a, uh, where he said, like filthy rags? Okay. Um... So I think I got the live chat covered as much as I can. Anybody in the live chat that wants to bring something specifically to my attention, just make sure you put the at Christopher in there. Uh, I see we have Lance Steelman with us. Could you turn on your camera there, Lance, please? On my phone. Hello, Lance. How are you? Yes, I'm Brick, I'm brick Train. You're Brick Train. Okay. Yes, sir. W welcome. Welcome, brother. So How are you one doing? question, I, yeah, so. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, if you don't mind, uh, we got Sergeant R as well on with us. Sergeant, you ready to go, brother? Actually, you know what? Uh, if you don't here, mind. Here uh, we are. We got Sergeant R as well on with us. Sergeant, you ready to go, brother? Yeah, can you hear me all right? Yeah. Uh, I can hear an echo. Uh, is there a, is there a. Uh, Sergeant, you ready to go, brother? Yeah, can you hear me all right? Yeah, is there an, uh, it's hard to even, hear. sorry, there's an echo, uh, is there a, is there like a speaker in the background? I think it's Sergeant, is there a speaker in the background? You, um, I hear an echo. Okay. Can you, okay, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, great, awesome. So, uh, Sergeant, are you there? Just wait, just to make sure before we get into a conversation. Yeah, I just have my. Yes, we can hear you. Oh, okay, great, awesome. 
So, uh, Sergeant, are you there? Just wait, just to make sure before we get into the conversation. You, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you've got I'm your. Um, uh, for some reason, we're getting we're getting an echo, uh, Sergeant. Um, there is in the settings, there is a thing where you can turn, uh, let me see if you go to the settings and you go to audio, there's an echo cancellation. Try that. That might, that might help. Okay. Brick train, uh, Lance brother, how's it going? You got a question or you just want to hang out? What's happening? Uh, yes, sir. I just had one question I would, I wish to ask and I didn't know the best way to get it across. So, um, I was reading an article, well, two questions, uh, well, the, uh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and so um, we believe in keeping parts of the law, but not all of it. Uh, that's just how we roll as a church, and um, L, um, there is, um, I found out about, uh, we had, um, the Seventh-day Adventist church was founded in the mid 18th century by um, Ellen White, and I was wondering if you had uh, anything you'd like to say about her, if you knew. I, yeah, you know, I I, I typically don't uh, I typically don't comment on other people like that. I mean, you know, I know I have people ask me about other diff, you know, like Kenneth Copeland or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, I would rather talk about concepts or like if you have questions or if there's something in the scripture, if you have questions about it, doctrine, um, you know, I'm not really here to either endorse or condemn, uh, you know, someone individually. So um, do you have any kind of questions on the doctrine or anything like that? I can. Oh, answer. yeah. Yes. That's what my second question. Um the book of um, Odes of Wisdom, I liked it at first, but as I looked into the history behind it, it seems like they're possibly Gnostic origins. And I was wondering whether that, because just because of the possibility that Gnostics could have wrote it, does that mean it's bad? It's um, and that it is an um, don't want to say heretical text, but false scripture. So uh, yet last night before I started with the odes, I did mention that um, there are uh, different points of view, and most uh, many scholars believe that the odes were not written by by Solomon himself, but rather by uh, even some Christians in the first or second century, is what I understand. Um, now, in regards to being Gnostic, uh, it, the word Gnostic or it, you know, that kind of thing, like it's a Gnostic text or a Gnostic, you know, it was a Gnostic group. Uh, it can have a very wide and broad meaning. Um, like they say that the gospel of Thomas is Gnostic. I personally don't see that being so Gnostic. Actually, honestly, I, I, I see the, uh, uh, the epistles of Paul as being more Gnostic than the gospel of Thomas in regards to being Gnostic. So um, I, you know, I, I cannot confirm uh, whether or not it was written by Gnostics or Christians. However, I did, I did uh, give that disclaimer at the, in, you know, in the beginning. Um, and I, you know, just reading them just because, uh, uh, it seems to be pretty interesting and it is attributed to Solomon, be it truly, you know, from Solomon or whatever it is it, to me, it doesn't, uh, you know, that's beside the point. It is uh, ancient 
ancient uh, um, it's an ancient writing that is uh, something that every believer should know about. Uh, Sergeant, I see you're back in the back room again. Are you ready to go? And for some reason, I don't hear you. Oh, unfortunately, I, I can't. I still can't hear you. Check your um, check your audio settings. There should be like a little gear thing somewhere there, and and make sure that you have your right like the right microphone selected. Yeah, for some reason, I'm not sure what it, I mean. Every you about now. Oh, I hear oh. you now. Yeah, or something in that setting. Sorry about that. No problem. No problem. So. Welcome, brother. Yeah. Welcome, too. Thanks for uh, having me on again. It's my pleasure. I was my... really enjoying you reading uh, song, uh, Proverbs today. It was it was pretty nice You watching you go back and forth. And I think it kind of leads on to a lot of the topics and the discussion you have with, with Paul, like in these contradictions. We, again, I... I I kind of jump on the bandwagon sometimes, like not not Paul again, you know. You're just kind of ruining everything. But um, sit here, sitting here thinking about it, and just like we're reading, you're reading uh, the two different translations. You can almost put up two different sermons or two different pastors talking about the same thing, and you're going to see contradictions. One saying one thing, and one saying the opposite. Um, but at the end of the day we can still look at those two preachers and they're still trying to get the message of Jesus Christ across, right? And uh, maybe we can look at Paul's writing sometimes like that. Like, he's not he's not going to be perfect. And again, these letters weren't meant to, um, for billions of people on the earth to read. He sent it to people that he had an understanding of, of, a, of an issue or conflict he was trying to deal with directly. Sometimes... I'll have conversations with other people, or you'll have conversations trying to explain the things of God. And then if we were videotaped and recorded every time, I'm sure people could find something contradictory in our words. I just, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, people think that I'm, you know, some people think that I'm just throwing Paul out completely. No, I look at Paul for what he, you know, for what he was, uh, exactly how the disciples looked at him. Definitely not, uh, you know, someone who is absolutely perfect, just like, and you can point to anybody else, right? You can point to anybody else on earth today and say, you know, that, you know, they're not perfect. And, um, and so Paul never even, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I look at it from a very objective point of view. Okay. So we've got foundations for life finally with us. Um, foundations for life. Hello. How you doing? Good. Good. So uh, you finally came on. I'm at work. So if I get called in, uh, I've been on since like 5:20. So. Okay. Let, let me just let me just um, just going back to your chat here on TikTok. You said Paul isn't saying that righteous people don't exist. Right. And so, like, so Paul says there is none righteous. So how do you, how do you, how, how does that work? Okay. Um, I can't see your screen, Christopher. Uh, is that supposed to happen? Um, well, it doesn't really matter because, I mean, I'm not really, I don't have really have any, anything to show right now, but you're supposed to be able to see me, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm, my, 
I'm on my phone. Um, so <clears throat> what I would say, um, cause the first time I ever engaged with one of your videos, it was the, uh, it was over the, first of all, I want to, I want to apologize because, um, sometimes, um, people become passionate and they say things they shouldn't. Uh, and so if I've offended you anyway, uh, I apologize for that. I don't take it seriously, brother. I don't take it seriously. I, I understand. Oh, I, hope you, I hope you do. Well, well I don't I take it take personally is what I mean. You don't take it personally, but, um, okay. So what I would answer is in Hebrews 11 and what's known as the faith hall of fame. The very first person you mentioned was Noah. It says in 11, I forgot what verse, um, it says by faith, Noah condemned the world, um, with his preaching and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So what Paul is saying is that no one has been just like Abraham was justified or declared righteous by faith. No one in the Bible and no person will be righteous apart from faith in Christ, either in Christ foreshadowed in the old Testament through the offerings and the feasts, or Christ realized in the new. So nobody has the righteousness which God requires in and of themselves because we are fallen and lost original righteousness in the garden. Okay, uh, that's a mouthful. You said a whole lot there. So it's it does say that Noah was righteous and it says because of his faith. Right. Do you understand where that doctrine comes from, the doctrine of faith? Uh, I would imagine Christ. Yeah, it's from the Hebrew text. It's imuna is the Hebrew word for faith. It's yeah, it's it's from the Hebrew text. It's from the it's from the uh, what you know what they call the the Old Testament. Uh, the just shall live by faith. Well, the word faith there is a Hebrew imuna. Most of the time in the Old Testament, it is translated as faithfulness. Okay. Uh, it's the same word that's translated as faith, which is the uh, pastual faith of the Greek. So right. what it what it means when it says Noah lived by faith or anybody else lived by faith, I would say, yes, of course they live by faith. But in if you look in the original, the original Hebrew, the original manuscripts and the original culture, it did. It had. Not, it wasn't shallow faith. It wasn't like you know. Oh, I just. No. I just. I, I just believe in my mind. I just accept it in my head, and and I don't. I don't really have so, to show it or do it. Any, you know, and all like that. You and I would agree that faith isn't just a mental ascent, but faith is act of a, a, a vivacious faith. A living faith will actually transform. So you, I would agree with you there. Yeah, so Noah Noah was righteous by faith, and his faith is this, again, if you're looking in the Hebrew, it's amuna, which means faithfulness. So what did that, like, what was he faithful to? Well, I would say that in the mass of fallen humanity, Noah still trusted in God, and I would say that that trusting in God was a work of God upon his heart and not something that he conjured up in himself. Okay. So that, 
really didn't answer my question. We're talking about okay. faith. We're talking about faith, amuna, faithfulness. Noah was Noah was justified because of his faith. Again, in the Hebrew is amuna, which means faithfulness. What was he faithful to, or who was he faithful to? How was he faithful? Um. Well, he did offer sacrifices, and all sacrifices are a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. And so he would be faithful to God through faith in Christ. And he would obey. He It, it was the same with, um, what's his name? Uh, Abel and Cain. Abel understood the blood offering. Cain didn't. Cain came, Cain came with self-righteousness and offered whatever he wanted to. Abel and others after him, including Noah, would have understood that just like the original parents, Adam and Eve, they were covered with skins because they attempted to cover themselves with the own right, their own righteousness of fig leaves, and God covered them himself with lambskins, or what, what can easily be inferred to as an animal. So they understood that God was um, requiring a covering that they themselves couldn't um, offer or find. Mr. Foundation, this is Sergeant R here. Can you hear me? Uh, it's really hard. Okay. Everything's like really low on this. Yeah, my I'd like to, like, we're talking about the faithfulness of Noah. And let's write to Genesis 6 9. It specifically says, Noah was a righteous man and perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. This is accounted. Uh, of Noah and his descendants. So he's literally saying that Noah walked with God, and if he walked with God, he followed God. Mm -hmm. There was no talk of his righteousness being because of sacrifices. Hebrews still, Hebrews still infers and supports, though, that Noah's righteousness came through faith, through what, and like Christopher also already pointed out, uh, faith means faithfulness. It also means confidence. It also means trust. Noah was trusting in um, God's methods and God's righteousness above his own. So he was found righteousness because he was trusting in God and not in his own righteousness. The, the world around him was falling into corruption. So in his generation, it would be understandable that we could find that God would say, you have I found righteous before me in this generation because Noah still had faith in God. So, Okay, you need to, like, so I, I know, like, everything that you re, that you said to me right now, what you're saying, I know it very, very well. Um, I mean, you know, so I, I have a history in the church. You know, I've 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 pastored. I've I did all kinds of different things in the church. I used to probably even preach what you're saying, until I read the Bible, and I read the Bible, and I read the Bible, and I read the Bible. And the more I read it, the more I see how it wasn't true. Like for example, it does not say, it does not say that. Uh, like all the stuff that you're saying, you're interjecting into that. Yeah. And it's and it's not consistent with the rest of Scripture because you have many other times. I just mentioned, like, for example, King Saul. King Saul offered the blood sacrifices. He was condemned of God 
just after that, like because of that, basically minutes after that, he was condemned of God. He lost everything. He was rejected of God. Can you explain that? He used the blood. Yeah, Can you I, mean, I, I think I think Hebrews still answers that question too. That they uh, they were rejected uh, of God. Um, well, that's talking about the entering into the promised land. Uh, but it's the same concept that they didn't enter into the uh, into the promised land because it wasn't mingled with faith in those that were hearing the promise of the promised land. So the same can be applied to King Saul. He wasn't mingling faith in the sacrifices that were being offered for his atonement. There's, there's no evidence of that. When it comes to the children of Israel, mingling faith or not mingling faith, being doubt and not doubt, there is evidence of that because there's, they're like, no way, we can't go into that land. There's no way we're going to, uh, we're going to win. You know, we know God promised us, but and, and we're, we're supposed to go into that land, to the promised land, but we don't believe that God would, you know, uh, would protect us. We're, so that's obvious doubt. That's obvious that they're doubting. And not only that, but again, faith is about faithfulness. They were not faithful to their God. They did not serve God. Throughout those 40 years in the, in the wilderness, they sinned time and time and time again, meaning that they did not obey the, the instructions, the law, the Torah that God gave them. That's how they were faithless. That's how they didn't have faith. Okay. Now, King Saul, we see none of that evidence at all in King Saul. Plus, we okay. have, I mean, that's that's just one that's just one example. What about Amos chapter five, where God God condemns an entire group of people, basically an entire nation. He condemns them. He says, Your sacrifices basically he's like, I'm, I'm you know, your sacrifices mean nothing. You, what what you need to understand is that think about it for a minute. God rejected the people in spite of their blood sacrifices right and now you're you're jumping in you're saying well, well they didn't have faith but what what's the evidence of that their rejection what's the evidence of their doubt their rejection without faith is it impossible to please god you wouldn't expect people to enter into the promised land who weren't pleasing God. That's so so they rejected. So they rejected. So you're saying God rejected them and that's evidence that they were in doubt? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how else you can say without faith is it impossible to please God. I mean, why else would he be rejecting them? Because he to, he says exactly why that he's he's rejecting them because they're not obeying his commandments. They're not. And people, they're, he he yeah. said exactly, very, very clearly. I mean, what you're saying is you're actually just you're ignoring the actual purpose that he actually he said the reason why he rejected them. Very clear. I mean, I, we can read it. Amos right. chapter five, wait, Isaiah wait, chapter wait. sixty-six. It's very clear. The reason is very clear. He has he said nothing about faith. It's like when Jesus Jesus spoke uh, about the, uh, the the coming judgment day. In Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, he said exactly why he rejects the people because of their breaking. Basically, they're not they're not obeying the, the, the they're not obeying God. He said nothing about their faith. Nothing. No, I know I, I understand that, but would you would you agree that under 
the new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit coming and giving a new heart to where the people of God will walk in the promises or walk in the, the statutes and commands of God to do them. W would you agree that the obedience to faith it is a result and not the basis for a changed heart. It's like saying, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, you're splitting hairs. I mean, real faith is coupled with obedience. Would you say that real faith is a result of the work of God upon the heart? Yes or no? Yeah. I mean, everything is by grace. Uh, God okay, does everything so, by grace. Okay. So if you're, if you're, so, okay. So I should just be clear. I'm a Calvinist. So I, I mean, that's what I'm going to sound like. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to try to hide that fact. I, I I'm not going to be dishonest, but if God can have mercy upon whom he has mercy, I believe part of God's grace is saving people from unbelief so that the result of their obedience to the commandments and the law written on their heart would be a result of his mercy, not a result of their own effort. So when we see the pattern of people being disobedient in the Old Testament is a result of God either having mercy and having grace or not having mercy and not having grace. People not entering into the promised land because their hearts were either hardened or God gave mercy for them to enter in. Okay, I, I appreciate you being clear about about Calvinism. I, I'll, I'll be like I'll reciprocate that that transparency. I am neither an Armenian or a Calvinist. Okay, I, I believe that both both Aren't you camps. Observant though. Pardon me. Aren't you? Wouldn't you align with Torah observance? What I. I consider myself to be Torah observant, but uh, okay. I mean, there are a lot of people who are Torah observant that is a lot different than 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 myself. So uh, it's hard to I don't want to be, you know, it's, it's like saying, are you Christian? Well, I mean, you got Orthodox, you got Jews, you're, you got or not Jewish, Jewish Christians, you got Catholics, you know, you got a lot of people that it's a very broad um, statement. Can, can, can I ask? Um I, I don't know if I've answered the question you posed to me satisfactorily or not, but, but can I pose a question to you based off your understanding of Acts chapter 15? Go ahead. When Peter stands up, uh, when, when it says there were a certain of the Pharisees which believed, which said uh, that it was needful to circumcise the converts, the Gentile converts, uh, and to command them to keep the law of Moses— and then Peter stands up and says, um, you know, God, uh, God uh, gave, uh, uh, cleanse our hearts by faith the way he, the same way he did us. Or he gave the Holy Spirit to them the same way he did us. He says, why then do you tempt God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither we nor our fathers could bear? What is your understanding of why Paul, or sorry, Peter would say that the law of Moses was not able to be message. The question is incorrect. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses, because if it was the law of Moses, the entire word of God is false and God is a liar. 
I mean, I mean it I'm says just, very, I'm very quoting, clearly. It says very, very clearly. The other the other day we, we read all of Psalm 119. It says very clearly how beautiful, how precious, how easy, how wonderful the word of God is. And the, the law of God, I mean, the, the Torah, how great and how sweet, sweeter than honey, more precious than gold and silver. Oh, how I love your law. Dave, David cries out over and over again. Oh, how I love your law. It, it, He's got nothing but praise to say with the heart, yeah. the, the law of God. Okay, we've got someone like David. We got someone like King David, who, uh, you know, what happened between him and Bathsheba. But it says in the scriptures that's the only thing. That's the only thing that he that he uh, did against the law of God. All the other times, basically, he was in 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 apply in you know in in you know compliant with the law of God. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, that the law of God, the commands are easy to obey. God is not a tyrant. He, he's, not a, he's, not a, he's not an abusive father to bark out hundreds of commands to his beloved children whom he knows cannot obey them and then curse them with horrible, horrible, nightmarish curses for 1,500 years just because they can't obey them, just to show them that they're sinners. That is an absolute horrific, horrific doctrine that's against the Word of God. It says over and over and over again throughout the Scripture. God, again, even in that case, God tells you the purpose. Over and over again, he, God says, Obey the commands. This is the law. Obey it so that it may be well with you, so that it will go well with you. So we have people like Luke, uh, like Zechariah and Elizabeth in, Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Both of them, it says, were righteous, walking in all the commandments of the Lord and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. Okay? so Right. Paul even, but Paul even said that he was blameless touching the law. And counted it as dung. So, so that so it, that should it, give you a clue. That should give you a clue. There's lots and lots of cases throughout the scriptures that tell you how easy it is to obey the law. That uh, should give you a clue that it's not that is not the so-called unbearable yoke. Can I ask you a question, Christopher? Yes. Just very clearly. Do you think the law simply concerns itself with outward conformity? The law is speaks about inward con conformity just as much as outward conformity. The law right. encompasses you... the law encompasses every every area of your life. Okay. So the law. Okay. So in, in the book of Deuteronomy, I, I forget where I want to say chapter thirteen. We see the contrast of the blessings given for the obedience on Mount. Uh, what. Uh, What's that mount? And then the, the I forget the but the mount of Ebal where the curses were pronounced. And the very last curse is cursed is the man that can that continueth not in all the works of the law to affirm them. Do you believe that it is possible for a person to confirm the law's demand perfectly in thought, word, and deed in this life? First of first of all, it doesn't say confirm. It's more or less to obey or not or not to transgress the law. Okay, so yes, it is super super easy for, for babies do it. They are born, they don't transgress the law. Okay, I mean it's easy. It's as easy as a baby. I mean, 
it's no wonder it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that you don't have to go anywhere for it. You don't have to do anything. It's right there in front of you. That's that was the that was the message of Yeshua. That was the message of Jesus. That was the gospel. The official, the original gospel was repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's right there. You don't have to go anywhere. Okay. You have to it's right there. Without without even without even going to Paul for Psalms 14 and Psalm 51, which it's reiterated twice in the Psalms. You mean the Psalm Lord 53? Down, the Lord looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any, uh, any that understood, any that followed God. Uh, are you a children of men, or child of men? <laughs> if so, he said, they have all gone astray. They have all become unprofitable. That's not even quoting Paul. That's what Psalm 14 by itself says. If you consider yourself to be a child of man, like every person is, then you have to acknowledge that Psalm 14 and reiterated that Psalm 51 says that when the Lord looks down upon the children of men comprehensively, because he understands the hearts of all men, he said that there's none that seek after God. So that's either true or it's not. Well, the way you presented it is not true because you conveniently you conveniently left out a lot of the things uh, in well, regards to I'm that group. Go, I'm also going off the top of my head. I don't have a Bible in front of me, so okay, I might not be quoting it perfectly. Okay, so I'll I'll read it. First of all, it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Okay, these are these right. are, I mean that's right off the top. These are atheists. They are corrupt. They are all abominable right. in work in their works. They I will, none of the wait, none before, that do with good. That, before you get into that, it does say the fool, but then it says he looked down upon the children of man, not just the fool. So the Obvi fool, obviously, in in context, it's not talking about all, and I, I can prove that to you quite easily. Well, if the children of man isn't everybody, then who are the children of men that he's talking about? Read the psalm. That's who they are. It says right here. Okay, I'll, I'll read the, the actual verse. Okay. It's Actually, it's the very the very next verse. I was just going to say it, but you said it. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any who did understand, who, who did seek God. They were all gone aside. They they are all together become filthy. None that do that does good. No, not one. Uh, have all workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do and call not upon the Lord. These are people, obviously, in this particular context. These are people who are unbelievers. They do not call upon God, obviously, and they they. <laughs> they say they, they eat up the people of God like bread. Okay, so there's obviously two different uh, two different categories of people. There are the yeah, children of men. There are the children of men who are, are the fools. They're full of iniquity. They're filthy. They have no knowledge. They don't call upon God. Uh, of course, that doesn't that doesn't apply to David, who wrote this. David constantly he was a man after God's own heart. He called after God all the time. Yes, okay. but David also said, blessed is the man who to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. So David understood imputation of righteousness through faith because David was faithful. No, David did not believe in the emperor's new clothes. And I mean, again, it the the whole idea of uh, there's no not there's none good, no, not one. 
first of all, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're practicing scriptural ins, uh, isolation because, uh, because you were taught that. I mean, there are over a hundred passages of scripture that tell you the opposite. They tell oh, you there are good people, there are right, righteous people. So in, obviously it's not talking about everybody. And again, these in, are people, one of you, it says here very clearly, these are people who eat up the people of God like bread. There are two different groups of people here, just like there are in Isaiah chapter 64, the whole, the whole you know, filthy rags nonsense that most Christians get into. It is two groups of people, two groups of people, one group of people that are filthy, sinful, um, unbelieving, they apparently they uh, perhaps uh, you know how do they eat up the people of God like bread? I mean, it doesn't sound very good to me. It sounds very gruesome. How did they do that? I think, I think the war? question would be: Is how did the people become the people of God in the first place? All right, well, let me interject. You guys, are, I feel like you guys are bouncing around on different rabbits. Yeah, go ahead. Of scripture. Uh, I'm going to draw back to Yeshua and and um, the God thing. Um, let's go to uh, John 10, 34. And Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your own Torah? I said, You are Elohim. And then um, there's a little, si a little side note that goes to Psalms 82.6. Go over to Psalms 82.6. And it says, my decree is you are Elohim's. And in, quote, in, the, in brackets, it says gods and judges, sons of the Most High, all of you. So let, if we're going to zero in on Scripture, let's zero on, on this concept right here. We, he's calling us to be gods. He's calling us to be judges. He's calling us to follow and walk after him. And when we then we bounce back again to Noah, which I read earlier, it was accounted on to Noah's righteousness because he walked with God. And, he, and then he, but also towards the end, I, I, I'd have to jump to Genesis, but on the, on the top of my head, at the end of that chapter in Genesis 6, it talks about how Noah fall, uh, did everything that God commanded of him. Again, when we talk about faith, we're walking out his commandments in faith. We're walking out to be like him in faith. Our hearts have turned. If he's truly in us, and if we're truly seeking to be like him and be honorable to him, be a bondservant, more, more righteously over, we're to be bondservants to his good works that he's already set before us that he's called us to walk in. All right? So show yourself to be one, a good servant to God, because Yeshua said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So if we're truly doing that, we're truly serving God in his ways. And Yeshua also says to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we're loving God first, we're loving our neighbors as ourselves, and then that we're loving ourselves as we're loving people. Just by doing those simple things, we're doing them out of faith of what we read in the scripture. And it says to do these things. So out of faith, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be like you. I'm going to walk like you. I'm going to do everything I can to serve you. And through that, you see tons and tons of fruit if you are following and walking in this commandment. 
I agree with everything you just said. I would just the, my only emphasis would be that the fruit of everything you're saying of following after him and seeking out after him with the whole heart is because the work of God was done upon the heart. He had mercy on you or whoever whoever is pursuing God righteously. He's had mercy on them. I, I, I do not believe that it's in the natural state of man because the natural man can't receive the things of the spirit. First Corinthians 214. I, I don't think a person who has been unregenerated uh, and regeneration is a gift of God will seek after God in faith. It just doesn't happen. I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And I, um, uh, you know, I said before, I'm not a Calvinist or an Armenian. Uh, I believe that I believe that God gives us free will, but limited free will. Like you, like you can, like you came on here because you wanted to. Right? I don't believe that we're all a bunch of robots. I think that God gave us a choice. You know, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Now, I do understand, and I'm, I, you know what, I, I'm, I'm with you probably a lot more than many other people are there, brother. Foundations for life, but uh, I understand that uh, God can can uh, can set can make things. Uh, can let me just put it this way: God can set the stage in your life where it's like you don't have much of a choice. I understand that. Providence. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like I said before. You, it's like you have a, a dog, and you, you got a hungry dog. Let's say you got a hungry dog, and you set before it a bowl of raw broccoli and another bowl of you know steamy ground beef. You know what you? It's like it's not like you're really giving it free will. You're it's you know what it's going to go for, and oh, so. Oh. That's so weird because you're describing the effects of original sin and what the impact of sin did to the will and how it impacts our choices. And so it seems like you agree with me that God has to grant you by his grace uh, a renewed heart. And in doing and in giving you a renewed heart, uh, he also grants his own righteousness. I, I This is where I, I don't. It's hard for me to see how you don't see imputation, um, especially in, in passages in the Bible, like uh, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, go about to establish their own righteousness. So we, like you said, we see two types of people in the Bible, uh, you know, the, the, the wicked and the condemned and the righteous. And I, I believe the righteous shine forth in the glory of, of the father because of, the, of his righteousness and not their own. And I, I just, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how that. We wouldn't know righteousness without the law of God. Like, and I'm putting right, the, the laws are The law is our schoolmaster to drive us to the fact that we need Christ who fulfilled a perfect life, life who for us. Who was but, the but, but is, the is the law really, is the law really your schoolmaster? All, every Christian I know of has no don't know much about the law at all. They have not been schooled under Torah. Like, it, ha, like, have you really been schooled under Torah? Is the law your schoolmaster? I know Jewish people who they gave all their life. They study Torah. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, they study Torah all of their life. Like, that's that's their main that's their main gig. You know, and they still don't come to the end of it. They're they're studying, but I know Christians on the other hand 
where they they know so so little about the Torah. They know just enough about the Torah to fabricate a selling point or a sales pitch for Jesus. That's all they know about the Torah. Let me make, let me make a point. Oh. This, right? As someone my girlfriend's from- calling. Okay. Uh, all right. You're going to leave this foundation? I have to go, you guys. All right, guys. Be blessed. I'll be right back. All right. What I was going to say um, to that point is let's talk about like Hold on. I've been studying um for example temple service setup okay there's you know who want to like look at the whole law in numbers you know 100 they say 619 and that that's the rabbinical number but and there's part of those laws that explain to us how we're supposed to set up the temple and uh, this goes back to the point of like what you're you're saying to him, like what what have you learned in the law? What have you studied in the law? Like, yeah. okay, am I wasting time learning about how the temple set up? In in, in a, I could see a point in that, but then I'm also looking at it from a spiritual perspective too, because Yeshua is always going from the physical to the spiritual, saying, you know, you've heard it said, "Thou shalt not murder." Well. In your heart, stop looking around wanting to murder each other. So, like, okay, I know how to set up the temple, but what was the point of setting up the temple this way? What was God's um, emotion and love? What was he trying to convey to us? And, like, the most set-apart place, like, I look, think in my own home, is my bedroom with my wife. That is my set-apart place. That is a holy, holy room that I don't hardly let my allow my son to come into. Um, but this, I'm, I'm taking that same concept onto understanding the laws of God. I mean, he talks about setting up the temple, and we can go over all the other laws too, one by one. But and then spiritually look at them, not just by like, hey, we're gonna do this and buy this, and we do it all the right way, and we walk the right steps and wear the right clothing. We're gonna get into into heaven. That has never been the point. It's just like time and time again, he's like, I didn't want it this way. Just like divorce. I didn't want it this way because your heart, you're so hard in heart. I have to do this for you is completely missing the point. I see the other brother there says, thanks for having me. You're welcome, brother. You're welcome back again anytime. Um, so, yeah, thank you for uh, your questions and uh, and your time there, brother. God bless you and protect you. What do you say, you know? Pardon me? What do you say? What do you say on that rant? Um, well, I, I mean, I know this is this is kind of aside from what you're talking about, but you didn't mention it about Yeshua, you know, saying you should not murder, but you should not murder in your heart. And then going to the uh, the adultery thing. I, I, I believe that he was actually preaching what it really meant to be. Um, right from the very beginning. I don't think that he was adding anything or changing anything, but rather just kind of clearing yeah. things up. Um, and yeah, like, so there is, uh, there is many levels, many different levels of the Torah for sure. I mean, in everything that it says in the scriptures, there, there's the physical level, there's the spiritual level. You can apply it in many different ways. And, and someone can be, you can tell when someone's following the rules because they have to, or they're, they're just at work because they want to be, or I mean, uh, they have to be because they got to get a paycheck, you know? Versus the person that really wants to be at work and they're proud of what they're doing. Uh, again, I take it like we work for the creator of the universe. 
And he said, you know, very basically in the Torah, just very simply, you know, here's an example of how I want you to work for me. <laughs> like, now we can expand on that through grace and uh, do great things, uh, but that is our foundation, right? That is our foundation. There's just some unarguable things there. And um, I really want to, you were, you were making a good point before foundations left of, um, how how we got on this like Christian like Christians what what is 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 it their is it truly their schoolmaster is it truly their master is it truly something their their measuring stick their rod against against everything yeah yeah I, I can speak for myself I mean I was a you know back in the day when I was I I fell as I I I admit I fell into the you know the the norm, the uh, what would I call it? the nominative, you know, popular Christian narrative, and um, and I I didn't know the Torah very much. I didn't. I, I actually looking back, like from what I know now, compared to the way I like these are the days when I was preaching in churches and built in planting churches and going out on the streets and going out and evangelizing, talking to everybody about Jesus and all kinds of things. Lots of you know, releasing lots of teachings even before the uh, internet was available. Um, I I knew nothing about the Torah. Looking back, I mean, I, I thought I did. I thought it in all the all the typical points about the Torah. Well, the Torah, you know, the law of God is just for just to show you how much of how you how much you need Jesus. You know, that's it. That's all. Uh, no one can obey it. Nobody can obey it all. It's you know, oh, it's six hundred thirteen laws. I know the whole thing. Um, but like I said to the other brother there, like the more I read the Bible, the more I, I understood, Hey, the more I knew, I didn't know <laughs> the more I knew that, uh, that I was ignorant of the Torah. Um, great deception makes a great point here. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the Christians teach their own righteousness, not Yahuwah's. <laughs> yes. Their own righteousness. And that's it. Their own. It, and that's why I said, and I, righteousness you know, of Paul. <laughs> it's the righteousness. It's the righteousness of Paul. It's the righteousness of just faith alone. And that's it. It's the righteousness of, um, of just come, come, you know, come forward, say the sinner's prayer, you know, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, ask him into your heart. That's their righteousness. They make their own Torah. They do have a Torah. They just don't call it Torah. They have a Torah. It's the modern evangelical Christian, corrupt Christian Torah, but that, they do have a Torah. Ah, oh, we see Foundations for Life is back. Welcome back, brother. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, my future wife called me. Hope that's good news. Yeah. Okay. Always. All right, that's good. So what I missed? Uh, we were talking about. Um, well, I was just. I believe that sounds very Canadian. <laughs> I, was, I was giving an example. I let me let me give you Foundations my example. Um, right before you, you left, Enoch was talking about is we Christians actually use the law as their schoolmaster. Like how often do Christians really study and steps of how to actually do Passover scripturally. And I'm not talking like Seder. I'm talking scripturally. How did you do Passover? Or the example I was giving when you were gone was I've been studying how to set up the temple. And there's your sacred rooms. There's certain places you put the bread and how you put the tin up. And um, so there's a physical example of God's house, 
and I use an example of my house, like my my bedroom with me and my wife. That's a sacred room. It's like the most set apart, holy place in the temple. It's a set apart place. And uh, it's, it's set up as an example. And there's a physical um, example, but then we can look at it from a spiritual point of like, why does he want a temple set up this way? Um, we can easily do that, but what's the point? And um, then I jumped and gave the example of Jesus, Yeshua, um, preaching like, "You thou shalt not murder. Well, the whole point is stop wanting to murder each other in your hearts. It's like you're not physically doing it. You need to uh, spiritually stop doing it. So, again, I was just saying, hey, if you really study Torah like we should, and I think Christianity has missed that first point, we start from the back and go to the work our ways to the front, and it's just it's a very difficult transition to get that good balance. If the law is our schoolmaster, are we really studying the law to measure it against what we do in our lives? Okay. Um, let me, while, while you're thinking about that there, while you're thinking about that there are foundations for life, I'll just, I'll share my, a little, just a tiny peek of my, my own testimony as well. Uh, and okay. I shared this, I shared, uh, I shared this just a little bit earlier, but, uh, I mean like, so, I mean, I, I, I grew up in, I grew up in a home that was a believing home, but not a, not a church going home. Uh, as a teenager, like my, my father, well, actually my father passed away when I was very young. And as a teenager, I went wild. I was just going, I, I never thought I'd live to be about, I never thought I'd live to be 20 years old, honestly. Um, but, uh, I always believed. And I remember seeing the sinner's prayer many, many times. I remember accepting the Lord Jesus into my heart and, you know, accepting him as my Lord and savior many, many times because of what I heard on TV, the Christian evangelist that would always have you say the sinner's prayer, but there was no change. And looking back right now, I would say, I cannot say I was saved at that point in time. It, it wasn't until August of 1992 when I believe I was really born again. And uh, this is when I, uh, really repented of my sins. Actually, I got the, I got the book right here in front of me. Now, this guy, I, I mean, this is not endorsing this guy's, I mean, this book here is the book that, that really changed my, my, my life back in 1992, August of I, 1992. I can't see. So what, what's the book called? Oh, sorry. It's a, it's a small little uh, pocket book. It's less than 50 pages long. It's, it's called Winning Spiritual Warfare, Steps to Freedom in Christ by Neil T. Anderson. And it, it was just a book that went through um, seven steps of what, what he said, seven steps of freedom. So, like, for example, like for bitter, bitterness versus forgiveness, uh, false um, religions versus the true religion, um, you know, generational curses. There's all, like all of these kind of things. And each each step, there was um, uh, a scripture, a prayer and a testimony uh, on each step. So anyway, I was reading this through. I, re I read this through in, in one night sitting in in, uh, in August of 1992, and for the first time, I've I, I felt the Spirit of God come into me, and it was it was a tangible experience, so tangible. I was so shocked because it was the first time in my life I felt full, and I never knew I was empty before that. It was the first time in my life I felt full. And I could literally, like, I could feel the Spirit of God moving in me and, and, and out of me and 
all of like it was such a powerful experience. I ran to the phone right away and I called I called someone and said, You need to read this book. And I went to the I went to the bookstore after that and I ordered fifty copies to give out to, to random people on the street. And so I I I I dove right into the word of God at that point in time. I dove right into the word of God. I spent all of my, I, I didn't have any recreational time. Okay. I was like reading the word or praying or worshiping God, eating and sleeping and working. That's all I was doing. That's it. That was, I mean, uh, so, uh, so I went to uh, a, a mainstream denominational church to begin with. I had no idea what, what to, you know, where to start. So that's where I started. And, um, and they got me into, see, I, when I first got born again, I believe I knew the truth. Like how it says in, in, you know, one John, if you have the anointing, you know, you know, the truth, basically, you know, you know, it all, you don't need anybody to teach you basically <laughs> exactly how John puts it. One John. Um, but I got involved with a, uh, a mainstream denominational church, the first thing. And I got and I got the the goodness the goodness of the truth uh preached out of me more or less. But I was still involved in the every time the church was open, every time the doors were open, every service I was there, every Bible study I was there, whenever I could talk to the pastor, I was there. I knew him personally. I talking to him on the street personally. So I went from there to street evangelizing from street evangelizing to holding meetings in in in, in various venues and in, in all of many different places um planting a church actually helping to plant i don't know how many different churches plus planting my own church plus pastoring then after that um helping to like the like an assistant pastor and through all that now when i look back this is this is the point i'm getting at now when i look back I knew nothing about the Torah. I knew nothing about how it worked. I always had questions. I always had these little things in the back of my mind. I always tried to butter them over. I always had tried to cover them up. But now that now that I have the knowledge that I have, wow, it is just absolutely amazing, brother. I mean, I never knew. I can say along with uh, my other um, uh, you know, friends that have been through the same thing, I never knew it was possible to get so close to God. I thought I was close to God before. I thought I was as close as close can be in believing, you know, in praying and accepting the Lord as my Lord and Savior and accepting his righteousness and yada, 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 by faith and grace. I thought I was close, but it had nothing compared to what I'm, what, what I know now. And looking back, I can say, you know, I thought I knew the main points of the Torah. I did not, not at all. I had, I knew just enough to fabricate. Well, actually, I, I parroted. I parroted the fabrication of the sales pitch for Jesus using false concepts based upon the Torah, which is not even true. Like, for example, that none can be righteous according to the Torah. That's not even true. That's, that's all the way through the script, all the way through the Tanakh, all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, for example, that no one, no one can obey all the, you know, no one can obey the Torah. Well, that's not true. You, you read that in the scriptures. It says it very clearly. Oh, the, the Torah is a burden. On the contrary, 
Read Psalm 119. Read Psalm, and in fact, read the entire Psalms. Read the Kings that while you're at it. Read every, it's like, it's nothing but praise and glory and how beautiful and how wonderful it is. And I will say, along with King David, wow. Oh, how I love your law. It is just so powerful. It's so good. It's so sweet. It's so liberating. It's so free. And so that's why I do what I do, Foundations for Life. That's why I do what I do. Because I'm excited about what I've been through. And I've been so blessed. And I'm 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 just overwhelmed with with amazement about what what God has in store for people and what I have missed. I'm not here doing it just whatever for for any other reason. I'm doing it because I, I'm excited about it and I'm I love to share. I love to share what I've learned. That's all. And I've learned and I've learned by the way that for the most part, for the most part the modern Christian narrative is wrong. That's why we see, why, why, why do we see so much corruption in the West today? It's because the salt has lost its savor. The salt of the earth has lost their saltiness. Why, why is it that you can't go to, um, to India right now and eat a beef burger? Why is it you can't go there and order beef? Because the, the, the spiritual leaders of that nation influences the culture. Because the spiritual leaders. The time they worshiped cows. That's, that would be my answer. <laughs> well, I mean, my, my question is, why is, it, why is it illegal in India? Why can't you do it in India? Because the spiritual leaders of that nation, obviously, that's what influences that nation. It's like why why can't you eat pork? Why can't you go to Jerusalem right now and just you know have a you know eat pork there? Because the spiritual leaders of that nation influences that nation. Why is it that you can't go to Pakistan right now and say Jesus is Lord and Muhammad is is well I'm not even going to say it. Why can't you do that? Because of the spiritual the spiritual leaders of that nation are the influencers of that nation. Why is, the, why is the West so corrupt? Because the spiritual leaders of this part of the world are corrupt. They are very, very corrupt. That's why we have people that are so enslaved to sin and they think they're, they're okay with God because of the, impu the imputed righteousness of Christ. The imputed righteousness of Christ is a lie. It is nothing but the new emperor, the emperor's new clothes. It's the emperor who thinks that he's going around with clothes on and he thinks he's brainwashed that he has clothes on, but he doesn't have clothes on. He's, he's naked. That's why Yeshua said, that's why Jesus said himself to his church, in Revelation, to his church. He wasn't saying it to the sinners, wasn't saying it to the world. He was saying it to his church, the people whom believe in him, accept him as Lord and Savior, accept him as Messiah. He said, you do not realize, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and what? Naked. You're not clothed. You think you are with the righteousness of Christ. You are not. Because if you have the righteousness of Christ, you will shine as bright as the sun. You won't be a slave to sin. Nobody can point to you and say, hey, bud, look at what you're doing. You're sinning there. You're eating, uh, eating ham or bacon, whatever. No one can do that because you are shining like the sun. You're not sinning. 
as first john says over and over again forget about paul right now first john makes it very clear he who sins is of the devil he who sins has neither seen god nor known god and he he defines what sin is transgression of the law so that's why we're doing what we're doing we just want to be a blessing to to as many people as possible and uh I share frustration with every one of my my friends. I share frustration when we get people who just cannot see it because they they don't have the the strength. They don't have the ability within them to actually humble themselves and say, you know what, bud, you might be right. I might be wrong. You know what? I maybe not. Maybe, maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm. Maybe I did believe something in the past that just wasn't true. It just didn't make sense. Maybe I am just ignoring something in the scripture just for the sake of condoning or covering or justif justifying my doctrine. That's why we're here. I'm telling you, man, it's awesome. It's awesome. Deuteronomy 6.25, this shall be your righteousness if you obey his commandments. That's the righteousness of Christ. Of Christ. That's the righteousness of God. 1 John uh, 3.7, let no one deceive you. What is that? What's that saying to you? That says, hey, what I'm about to say is something that a lot of people are deceived about. Let no one deceive you. He who does what is right is righteous, period. Not, well, he who has some kind of immaterial faith that they can't really. It's it's just faith. Um not someone who has just received the, received the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's nonsense. It's he who does what is right is righteous. Period. That's John for you. Okay. Go ahead, guys. That was a I really loved. You were you were hitting a lot of different scriptures, a lot of different points. Uh, thank you for your testimony. I have I have. I have been to church so much. I mean, I have, I have, uh, I mean, I'm passionate. People think it's anger. Well, you call it anger if you want to call it. Yeah, I'm angry at, at the, I'm angry Righteous at evil. evil. <laughs> I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I'm angry at falsehood. I'm angry at evil. <laughs> and that's it. But, uh, but I'm passionate, right? I'm passionate because I see how much damage is, it's doing to, to the world. This lawless, lawless doctrine lawless gospel if, if you can't even call it a gospel we, and, and even at the point where like we can say we believe and say like we don't i, I want i'm gonna just go on a limb i think we all don't agree with abortion we all sit here in agreement we abortion's bad but yet why is it happening in our country well you know like again it's it's what i how i would answer that is again it's the church are and, we not Doing, we're not actively stopping abortion. How do how we, you know, we can look back like the the age of divorce since the 1960s. Did our country, our parents, fail our country by allowing divorce to take over, allowing violence to take over, and then when you don't have the uh, covenant of marriage anymore, then now we have kids out of wedlock or have abortion clinics on every corner. It seems like and just the horrible killing of children. It's still our fault. We're not following the law of God. 
That is a law that we should be following. That yeah, it, we all it, agree with. If they actually preach in church today what the disciples preached, now we know we have the Didache, which is the teaching of the twelve, and that speaks that speaks very, very directly and specifically of taking the life in the womb. If they preached the way that the twelve disciples preached, none of this would be going on. None of it. It's because the salt has lost her saltiness. Shame on the church. Shame on the church. And why? Mostly because of Paul. Or at least because of their, their interpretation thereof. Forget I, What I would say is just forget Paul right now. Do what, do what the disciples did. Do what Yeshua did. Do, it, do what they did in the book of Acts. The, the scriptures they had in the book of Acts was not the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't even written in, at that point in time. All they had was the Torah and the prophets, the law and the prophets. That's all they had. That's what they went by. That's what they preached their gospel from. I've said this before. I've said it again. If you cannot preach the gospel without Paul, you're not preaching the gospel. You're not preaching the same gospel Peter preached. You're not, you're not preaching the same gospel John preached. In fact, you're not preaching the same gospel that most of even the any of the believers preached with Paul as the exception and perhaps even Marcion, which is, as I say, the son of the devil, Marcion, the, the disciple of Paul. Why is it? These are the questions that need to be answered. Why is it that no church father, no other apostle or no other disciple quoted Paul within the first hundred or so years after he wrote it? Because he wasn't considered to be, it, it wasn't considered to be authoritative. It was just Paul. They didn't use him as a as a, as a source of, of of authority. It's like Paul. Well, well, Paul. I know Paul. You know, he was a lot of trouble with Paul. And look what he did before. And then afterwards, he said he got saved, and we we had we had problem with that. And yeah, no, no doubt, I would be too. And then finally, when they accepted him in, well, now Paul, we got a problem with you again because it seems like you're teaching people against the law in in, in Acts chapter twenty one, like. Problem before, problem during, problem after. Now, Paul said a lot of good things. He said some good things in his writings. He said a lot of bad things in his writings. Well, he He's, said a lot he, of bad he, things because we don't know who he was talking to again. I've always pointed, you know, I pointed that out earlier. He was writing a letter to somebody, not to all the Christians in the whole wide world for us to review today. Like, like for example, I'll just give you, like, you know what, like, and I know. You could, anybody could, anybody within the sound of my voice could reconcile it if they want. I mean, they can say, yeah, Paul said that, but he, that's not what he really meant. Uh, and just kind of interject their own doctrine in there. But most people, most people who read Paul's letters, for example, this is one of many. Most people would say, oh, well, Paul... Um, he told people, you know, it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols because ah, an idol's nothing anyway. I mean, idols are nothing anyway, you know, and you have freedom in Christ. So just, just don't let your freedom cause someone else to stumble. You know, if you eat your meat sacrificed to idols, just go and do it like, you know, uh, uh, just don't let anybody see you do it, especially those who think it's wrong. You know, people who think it's wrong. That's, that's the concept that people, most people understand from Paul's letters. But Jesus said that he, he said the opposite, diametrically opposed to that. Revelation chapter 2, how many times? To two different churches. 
saying, this I have against you, that you eat meat sacrificed to idols. And if you don't repent, boom, the judgment, the gavel is falling. So again, I know people people will do it. I'm sure they'll do it in the comments. So those they'll do it. They'll re, they'll reconcile it. Well, yeah, Paul said that, but he you know there's there's a way to try to bend it and twist it. But let's take it for what it really says. I want the honest truth that's not that's not bent to to make it sound like it's something that wasn't originally meant to be. And Paul said himself in First Corinthians chapter seven verse twelve, "I say this, not the Lord." Now, at least someone can argue, well, you know, uh, he did he did bring out the word of God. Uh, you know what? I, I could say, yeah, you know, there, there might be a little bit glimmer of light here and there in Paul's letters of the word of God. I'm not going to say the word of God is not in Paul's letters. I'm not going to say that. But to say that every single letter, every single word that Paul wrote is the word of God is looking truth in the face and saying it doesn't it doesn't exist because Paul himself said it's not. That. Yeah. I mean, anybody who disagrees with me, I the only thing I would say is I believe Paul more than you do because Paul said it's not. I say that's not the Lord. It's not the word of that, the Lord. It's Paul. That would be that would be neglecting. It, do you believe that the Lord is able to express Himself through the complete scope of human language? You believe that? Yeah, he he does that through. So so do you, believe the, Holy Spirit, do you, do you believe the Holy Spirit can inspire an opinion? I believe the Holy the Holy Spirit inspires billions of opinions. Right, but as far as an infallible word in which Paul as a man is giving it his opinion while it is still being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. Okay, so you're dividing the spirit from the Lord because Paul said, "I don't say I say this, not the Lord." So you're saying the spirit's not—it's not the spirit of the Lord, then? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to give an opinion that the Holy Spirit affirms. Okay, so let me just say this: if Paul says something, just because it's the word of man, which Paul makes it very clear, it's his word, not not God's word, doesn't mean it's not true. All right. So, I mean, there's lots of things you can open up, a, you know, nowadays you don't see it very much, but you can open you can open up, open up a phone book and there's, there's a lot of truth there. Does that mean that's the inspired word of God? No. And just because someone's inspired, does that mean everything they write is perfect? No. The scriptures. I, I have been taught to believe, and I'm not sure exactly where you are, foundation, Foundations for Life, but I have been taught, and I actually believed for, a, 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 I'm ashamed to say, but a, a little period of time anyway, I believed that every single word that Paul wrote was the word of God. That's what I believed. And then I opened up past passages like, like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. That's one, but then there's other ones too, uh, like the end of, uh, you know, the end of, Second uh, Timothy, where Paul's talking, you know, he's if it's the word of God, it's not Paul talking, it's God talking. So Second Timothy, you know, makes it very clear. Um, it says here, uh, verse six, for I am already poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. What is this God talking? 
No, God does not die. Paul did. Paul did. For I have fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Okay. Um, verse eight. Now there is there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not to, only to me, but also to all those who long for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. So is that God speaking to us today? Well, I guess you could say God's calling everybody to come to him quickly. I can say that. For Damas, because he loved this world. This is, by the way, this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. For Damas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Okay, so Damas deserted God. Um, Cratians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So is God saying this? Is this is this the word of God? Only Luke is with God? Nobody else is with God right now? Oh, get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you. Right. So if this is the word of God for you today, you better go find Mark. And uh, it also says here, uh, when you come, bring the cloak that I left at uh, with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. So if this is God's word for you today, if every word is for you today, then God wants you to go find Mark and then go to Carpus's house because God left, he forgot his cloak there and his scrolls and his parchments. You better go find them. I, I look at it like this. You read the book of Job. Okay, the book of Job has got a lot of Job's words in it. Does that mean everything he said was true? Absolutely not. Those were jo jo Job's words. He was rebuked for it later. He said, I spoke, but I didn't know. I, I spoke without knowledge. He, had, he admitted it later. But the, but the book of Job has Job's words in it, and it was in error. Paul's letters have Paul's words in it, and some of it is in error. I think that's a, you're making category errors here. I'm just I'm just I'm just saying what I used to believe, what I was taught, what a lot of people are taught that everything that Paul I mean, said is God's word for you today. I mean, uh, an accounting of the believer's experience in the Scripture. I mean, the Spirit carried David all throughout the Psalms. David speaks of his own experience. Does that mean that that uh, that um, it's less inspired because David's speaking of what he's going through? I wouldn't say that. Is, is Job uh, less inspired because it's it, it gives an accounting uh, of of Job's ignorance that he speaks and not knowing? I mean, is it not inspired because God is revealing that Job didn't know anything and in and recording that Job says that he doesn't know anything? I mean, there's, these two, are there's two problems. Yeah, there's two, there's two problems going on here. Number one is the definition of inspired. Uh, it's got more holes in it than a sieve, I tell you, because, I mean, there's there's no perfect word. There's no perfect manuscript. It's very, very clear. There are hundreds of thousands of variants and, and, and changes within the manuscripts. That's very, very clear. Number two is this. What is considered to be the word of God or the word of David or the word of Paul? It's whatever is... It, whatever comes, whatever they say. Okay. So the things that I say right now are not the words of Foundations for Life 1984. They are the words of Christopher Enoch. The things that you say, brother, is the words of Foundations for Life 1984, not Christopher Enoch. The things that Sergeant. Pardon me? You can call me Josh. Okay. Nice to meet you, Josh. Likewise. 
So um, the things that Sergeant says are the words of Sergeant, Sergeant R, not my words, um, not your words, right? So in Job, we have the words of Job. They're not the words of God. And it, it, until it come, later on, we get the words of God when God finally speaks. Those are the words of God. So I, I say this before, like you got John who comes to Mary. John says, hi, Mary, how are you doing? Mary says, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Are they both the word of John? No. The word of John is, hi, Mary, how are you doing? The word of Mary is, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? So the word of God is in the Bible, but not every single word is the word of God. Does that mean that it's not true? That's not what I'm saying. It can be true. I'm just saying the word of God is what God actually speaks. Thus saith the Lord, quote, unquote. That's what God's, that's the word of God. So when Paul quotes the word of God, which he always messes it up and he always misquotes it, uh, for the most part anyway, I mean, it's hard to find a place where he doesn't misquote the word of God. That's the word of God. When he sat down with his quill and his parchment to write a personal letter to Timothy, he never ever thought about, uh, he never ever, it never crossed his mind that it would be considered to be holy scripture. It's, it's a personal letter from one brother to another. That's the context of it. So we get the letter and we can learn things from it. Yes, we can. We have possession of a copy, actually probably a very corrupted copy, all things considered, but we have a, we have a, a copy of it. But I'm sure if, if you were to talk to Paul right now and say, hey, Paul, 2 Timothy, he'll, he'll probably say, what's 2 Timothy? Huh? You know, the second letter you wrote to Timothy. Oh, okay. Well, how'd you know about it? <laughs> like, how'd you know about my second letter to Timothy? Well, it's in a book called the Bible. What's the Bible? Well, it's a book well, that it's a book that men have put together using other books, such as the Torah and the prophets and, and the, the other writings and historical books. It's a book that man has 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 put together. And there are many different Bible canons with many different books in it from different churches. And that is what people consider to be holy scripture, every single word of it. And by the way, Paul, your letters are in it. I'm pretty sure he would be appalled at it. He would be appalled at it. He would probably say, he would probably say, he'd probably say, get what in the world these people think they're doing putting my letters in, in, in the same book with the Torah, in the same, in, in the same book as uh, Isaiah. There, he would probably be absolutely abhorrent. Just let's to him, it would be abominable. Let's take a break and just read some scripture right out of Second Peter, Second Peter three, starting at uh, thirteen. But according to his power, we wait for a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, in which righteousness dwells. Filled in, beloved ones, looking forward to this, do your utmost to be found by him in peace, spotlessness, and blamelessness, and reckon the patience of our master as deliverance, as also our beloved brother Paul, uh, he's usually Shul, wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And I always point this out to you, like Peter's giving Paul some credit here, but listen to what he says after that. As also in all his letters, speaking in them concerning these matters, in which some are hard to understand, which those who are untaught 
an unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do also the other scriptures. You then, beloved ones, being forewarned, watch, lest ye also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the delusion of the lawless, but grow in favor and knowledge of our Master and Savior Yeshua Messiah, to him be the esteem now and to the days that abide. Can, can I pose a question here? Yeah. Did the Holy Spirit carry Peter along to write those words, to pin those words? Again, that's an incorrect question because all the scholars, Christian scholars, they agree unanimously, uh, at least for the most part, they agree that Second Peter was not written by Peter. It's a forgery. I mean, that's common knowledge amongst most scholars today. That's common knowledge. There are many, many indications that Second Peter is a forgery. It's not written by Peter. Now, that's the first so, thing. To, that's the first thing to so keep in mind. You cannot why say. We, why do we hold any truth to Second Peter if it's a forgery? Because he's also backing up exactly what John, First John's saying too. See, now you have two letters, ultimately pointing at the same thing, and uh, what Paul's teaching. Not in, like I said, Peter gives Paul some credit and wisdom. They're just reaffirming, like, hey, look, careful of the lawlessness that this can, can, can come out of this type of teaching that what Paul is trying to convey to specific issues, to specific people, to a specific church. Let me just ask this. When this when Peter says that holy men of God were carried along to write the things that they wrote, do you believe that's true of the New Testament writers or not? In in the regards of instruction and trying to understand how we're applying Yeshua, our did, Messiah, did the whole did the Holy Spirit overshadow the writers to write only what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write? Or were they writing what they wanted to write? Was the Holy Spirit telling the writers to write to the people of that day or to the millions and billions of us today? Both. Okay, Are so here's a question. You said that Paul is inspired, and because of that, every single word that he wrote is, is of God. So how do you know that? Christ said, if any man should do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So you're so, going to know the Spirit's going to bear witness to whether something's scriptural or not, to whether something's inspired or not. You need to that stop relying on... That's something that the Spirit teaches to each man. You cannot, okay. you, you cannot default to the Spirit. You know why? No. Because there are, they say, 43 to 45,000 Christian denominations today. And I know a guy, actually, uh, he... He's, he's, he, he determined within himself to, to study what is the common trait amongst all these denominations. And the common trait is they all believe they hear from the Spirit of God. And there are 43,000, 45,000 different denominations. So they are divided into 40 some odd thousand different ways. And they all believe they, they, they listen to the same Spirit. How do you know right. it's the Spirit of God? How do you know? Once again, you can't prove that empirically, but three plus yes, three equals six. Three plus three equals six. Somebody's going to be right. You so can prove that empirically. Three billion, it doesn't matter if three billion denominations existed. Somebody's going to be speaking 
and aligning with what the spirit says. How do you know? How do you know they're not all? So you're saying at least one of them is perfectly right. I'm not saying any particular denominations, right? What yeah. I'm saying is when somebody aligns to what the spirit intended to say, somebody's going to be aligning to what the spirit intended to say. So how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Huh? How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? That's something that the that spirit bears internal testimony to, bro. That's not something you can empirically prove. Everybody's got their own. Everybody has an interpretation, bro. But sooner I, or later, I, somebody's interpretation is going to align with what the spirit intended. I, it's, I, like I, I saying, it's like saying in a room full of 100 kindergartners, nobody has the right answer. Or a, a room of 100 kindergartners asking one math problem, nobody's going to get the right answer. Oh, there's so many denominations and nobody teaches right, bro. That That's ridiculous. That's, that's ad populum fallacy. So... I have witnessed, I'm a first-hand witness of two brothers who have argued about the the, 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 the final destiny of someone who passed away. I have witnessed two brothers arguing it, two spirit-filled, so-called spirit-filled brothers arguing about the, the final ultimate outcome of somebody's soul after they passed away. One person said... The Holy Spirit tells me that th that she's in hell. The other person said the Holy Spirit tells me she's in heaven. And they're arguing. And this is what happens all the time in Christian circles. Well, the Holy Spirit showed me this. Well, the Holy Spirit showed me that. Well, the Holy Spirit impressed me on this. Well, the Holy Spirit impressed me. And many times they're con very contradictory. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? I mean, I'm going to use your same example that the Holy Spirit uh inspired Solomon to, to, with his wisdom to demonstrate there's two women claiming they have one baby and he commands to split one in half and the revelation comes that one baby belongs to one mother so I mean you're not somebody's right in a certain case we we might not only always know who that is but somebody is going to align to God's word and the spirit's going to bear witness when somebody aligns and that person and the person they're speaking to is going to know that. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. A stranger's voice will they not follow. The Spirit's going to bear witness when somebody's speaking God's word and somebody's speaking the truth. Here's the thing, brother. I've been in, I've been in charism amongst, in, in many of my circles that I've been involved in, I've been involved in charismatic circles where people talk like this all the time. And I know. I've seen, I've seen people, I'll tell you something, night... I am not, I don't think I'm exaggerating at all by saying 99.99% 99 .99 at least of the people who believe they hear from the Holy Spirit, well-meaning people, they really feel it, they're really convinced, they're really passionate, they hear from the Holy Spirit. It's been proven to be false. If you can get past the idea that people will claim things while at the same time simultaneously holding that you can align to the truthfulness of God's word, it shouldn't really be that that big of an issue. You've said that you said things in this in this live that I believe the Holy Spirit would affirm, and I, I would affirm them alongside with you. But then you but, say, but how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Huh? How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? There is a there is an answer for that because it's aligning to the inspiration of the word. 
correctly, rightly yes. divided. Yes, yeah. it, 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 it aligns to of, of the it aligns to the word that has been proven to be the word of God, the previous right. word. Right. Yes. So if you have, um, for example, Moses came along right in the beginning, Moses came along. Let's just say, OK, so he received he received the word of God publicly on Mount Sinai in front of arguably millions of people. These people. They heard it. They saw it. They didn't have to have anybody try to convince them it was of God or not. They all knew it was God. In fact, they said to Moses, listen, we can't bear the voice of God anymore. You go talk to God yourself. Exodus chapter 19. So right now, so right now I, can give you empirical, I can give you empirical evidence that you are aligning with what the word of God says. Awesome. I, I can agree with you. So it was awesome. instantly canonized. It was instantly canonized as being directly from God because they were all witnesses. There were millions of witnesses. They were all there. There was no need to try to test it or prove it. They were all witnesses. Okay, so then after that, we've got other prophets that came around, like David, right? We got other prophets that came around, like Isaiah, uh, like Jeremiah. They were not yeah. instantly canonized. Why not? I'm not going to pretend to answer well, the canonization process. I've never studied it, really. They were not instantly canonized because there was no witnesses. For the most part, there were no witnesses. Like, Isaiah can come out of his closet and say, well, I had a vision from God. It's like, well, how do we know? Uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel can say, you know, the, the Lord spoke to me. How do you know? There were no witnesses, well, think, so they, they, they were so they they did they did not have the uh, the privilege of being instantly canonized. Some of these took hundreds of years to be canonized. In fact, a good part of the scriptures, um, the Ketavim, the writings, actually it means the scriptures. It it took over twelve hundred years to be canonized. Hold on, it's getting really cold in this truck. Go ahead. Yeah, so it took over twelve hundred years to be canonized. They weren't they weren't officially canonized, especially the Ketavim, which includes like the Psalms and the uh, historical writings and uh, chronicles and so on and so forth. They were not they were not officially canonized until about two hundred A.D. That's like twelve hundred years after the fact. Why so long? Because there were no witnesses and they had to be tested and tried and proven with the with the scriptures that were that came before them. Right. The, yeah. Torah, the, the Torah already existed or the, the, the books of Moses already existed. So David's writings, all the other prophets writings, they all had to be independently tested against the Torah to see yeah. if they were compatible, if they were right. compatible. And, and they didn't do it fast. It wasn't like one person saying, oh, I feel like the, 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 the spirit of God speaking to me. And it's true. No, it wasn't fast. Sometimes it took hundreds of years. Sometimes in, in the case of the Ketavim, the scriptures, uh, it took over tw it took twelve hundred years. So it took 1,200 years of thoroughly testing them inside and out in every which angle you can imagine. The, the Jewish rulers at that time and the leaders, the rabbis, tested these writings thoroughly to make sure that they were compatible with the former scriptures. So I, I got a question. Uh, you might know this better than me. So given like Isaiah, whose prophetic career was spanned, I think, between, what, 720 and... Uh, or the 760 and 720, like some odd 40 years. 
So, like Isaiah, for instance, when was that supposedly canonized by the Jewish canon? Um, that was canonized earlier than the Ketavim. Uh, so it did take some time. I cannot give you an exact number on that right now. I do know that the Ketavim, I know this very well because I was studied a lot. Uh, the Ketavim is the writings, right? Yeah, they are the... Uh, like the book, the, the Psalms, the the, pro, the Proverbs, the uh, Chronicles, um, even the Book of Daniel well, I mean, is included in that. Psalms of David were like a good three hundred some odd years before Isaiah, so I, we would expect them to be canonized before, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, they weren't though. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't officially canonized until after uh, about two hundred A.D. before they were actually officially canonized by the the, uh, the leaders. Um, oh. But the reason this is the thing, right? They were canonized because they have been thoroughly tested and they were compatible with the previously known prior revelation. With, with, with prior revelation, revelation right. that, that nobody nobody doubted. There was no doubt about the Torah. Again, Moses, it all happened in you know, millions of witnesses, nobody doubted it at all. Um, see, Christopher, and, and what I, I think the process is happening here is that you're speaking truth that I can affirm, and the Spirit is truth. And so, like, I don't have any right, even if the devil himself it makes a truth statement, I have no right to deny it. I mean, he's a liar, so he won't do that, obviously. Um, but um, when you make truth statements, uh, I have no right to deny that they're true. And so, I mean, I think, like you're saying, all Scripture is based on prior revelation. If, if it goes against prior revelation, it can't be scripture. I, I think this is answering the question you posed to me. Yeah, so for the same reason, I, I would, I would, I, I think I'd be safe to assume, brother, that you would not accept the Book of Mormon. No. Right? And the, the or, same, for the or same. Or the New World Translation, yeah. or the Quran, or yeah, we could make a list. For the same reason, it 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 contradicts all of the scripture that came before it. And I and I think I also would agree that um, when it comes to um, what we call the inspiration, it's always going to be based on the um, most uh, test or the best attested manuscripts in the original language. And then you got to take into account too all the corruptions that happened in the original language. That's a huge one. Uh, now you were you were doing something earlier that that I, I've done a side by side before, but I also believe that Christ in, um, I believe that Christ affirms at least the Septuagint in part and its inspiration and affirmation at least in part again because, um, if you read this uh, the Septuagint, obviously there's some um, some pretty big differences between the uh, Masoretic text. But I believe that Christ in the preaching of Luke at uh, Naz was it Nazareth, where they uh, they seek to cast him headlong. Uh, when he says, uh, uh, "Today this is a scripture fulfilled in your ears," the way that reads is actually directly out of the Septuagint reading. So the fact that Christ is affirming it in his preaching as a word for word reading from the Greek, I think, shows that at least he affirmed in part the inspiration of the Septuagint. Would you agree with that? Um, Hello? Yeah, uh, sorry. I was, um, 
just trying to think of all the things you were saying there. So, uh, I know I, I tend to ramble. I, uh, my girlfriend tells me like, you're so long winded. You just need to get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody would, you know, would say that about me as well. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, the point the, the point that I'm making is this, and this is the point. Um, if if a certain person claims to be actually, Paul didn't even claim to be inspired, really. But if a, if a person claims to be inspired and they and they say anything contrary to uh, the previous revelation, that is to be rejected. Now, I, I'm not can saying. I, can I, can I'm, I interject real quick? I, I I hate to break your train of thought. Here here's my. Here's my thought process when it comes to that. Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And at that point, you and I would agree that what existed at that time was the Old Testament. But then uh, the brother just read earlier that Peter says that they twist the writings of Paul as they do other, the other scriptures. Now, why would they call it call the writings of Paul being able to be twisted as the other scriptures? Like, why would Peter write that? And I know you said you don't. Well, you already said you don't affirm that Second Peter was actually written by Peter, so I guess let, I let me let me be clear. Okay, I, there's right. a slight there's a slight chance it could be. I the more and more I learn about it, the more and more I hear from knowledgeable scholars, the more and more I think it probably is not. Well, um, if it is, if it if in fact it is, and I'm going to affirm that it is uh, at least for me because I I mean that's um, I it clearly. Peter is clearly saying that Paul was given wisdom by Christ. That he obviously wasn't operating in his own wisdom and that people twist his words as they do other scripture. I mean, if we just take that at face value, it's saying that Paul's word has to be scripture or else it can't be twisted like other scripture. Well, this is, there's a couple things to that. Okay. First of all, First of all, again, uh, I, I mean, there's overwhelming evidence. It's probably not Peter that said that. And the the um, the theory is that it was somebody who was one of Paul's buddies that tried to give Paul some credibility because Peter and Paul didn't have a very good relationship. And we see how in Galatians, Galatians, yeah. Galatians chapter three, verse seven, Paul said that Peter is called to the Jews and he's to the Gentiles. You know, Peter said, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter's ministry is to the Jews. But in Acts chapter 15, verse seven, Peter contradicts that point blank, saying, I am it. God chose me that by my mouth that the Gentiles would hear the gospel. Paul was standing right there and he did not. He did not uh, ob object to that at all. So there's obviously a contradiction there. And there's well, obviously the Gentiles, even a problem. The, in, the, in that context, the Gentiles that Peter is referring to is the house of Cornelius. Not Gentile, well, I mean, not all, all Gentiles in general. Because Peter was... Where, where, the, did, where did Peter die? Where did Peter huh? die? Rome, right? Yeah. Is that Jewish or Gentile? That's Gentile. Yeah. Because he believed he was called to the Gentiles. Yeah. So Peter was Peter was in, at at odds with with Paul. Same with James. That's very clear in in Acts chapter twenty one as well. Uh, and so, I mean, Peter and Paul. Look at Paul's own writings in Galatians chapter three. He had a he had a spat with Peter. Now we don't know Paul, Peter's side of it. Maybe it's the opposite. I wouldn't doubt he. I wouldn't doubt Peter would say the opposite, just like he said about him being called to the Gentiles. 
I wouldn't doubt it. he would say to Paul, oh, no, Paul, you're the one that's a hypocrite. You're the one who says that you're a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles. You're the one to say that you're supposed to behave a certain way. Oh, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. You know, as long as you're not in front of other people that think it's wrong, you're, you're the one that, that, that promotes a double lifestyle, a hypocritical lifestyle. You're the hypocrite. I wouldn't doubt he would say that. I wouldn't doubt it. We just don't know because we don't have the Peter's side of the Peter's side of the story. Just so, FYI, I might be getting a phone call soon, and I'll have to cut this. Sure, off. sure, yeah, yeah, and I'll, 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 I should, I should wrap it up very shortly anyway. But uh, yeah, we can, Is we can really continue another been night. Live for four hours and twenty minutes and five seconds. I have now been, I'm... yes, yeah, wow. yeah. Right. So, so um, in regards well, to Second Peter, Second <laughs> Peter. There's a couple of things there. Number one is it depends on how you, the word scriptures in in its original form simply means writings. It doesn't yeah. mean holy scriptures. It means writings. When you were on the live chat earlier and you were writing, uh, you were putting in some comments there in the live chat and, and you know communicating with some of the other guys there. That by definition is scripture. Look it up. It, that, that by definition is scripture. Okay. So you can look at it that way, where it's like Paul wrote things and other, and we have, you know, just like the other yeah, scriptures. Graffe is writings. And, and I guess technically, unless, uh, uh, what is it? Holy Hagiazzo Graffe or Hagias Graffe is, unless it's prefixed by holy, I guess that's a technicality, but I wouldn't make that distinction, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, and there's other people that um, that that translate or interpret that different as well, including non-Messianic Jewish rabbis too. I've heard one say that this is this is to be interpreted as that Paul was not talking to, or Peter or who, the author of Second Peter was not talking about Paul as being quote unquote scripture, but he was saying Paul is misunderstood and twisted and and all that kind of thing, just like the scriptures are, right? Just like the so that's that's another way to interpret it as well. But again, Second Peter is an obvious. I mean, there's there's a lot of problems with Second Peter. I like a lot of it. What it says, I like a lot of it. I would never tell anybody to throw out Second Peter either. A lot, it's awesome. It, in fact, it's quite. It's it's whoever wrote it very much copied Jude. If you ever put Jude up against Second Peter, it's very much worth like concept by yeah, concept. It's got a it's got an eschatological uh, um, element to both of them. It's I, I think I think they're borrowed. For, I do think they're borrowed from each other. But I mean, if that 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 again is a is a uh, is a supporting evidence that if um, second if Peter borrowed from Jude or Jude from Peter, that would that would evidently show because Jude was Christ's half brother. That would support the idea of the inspiration of Second Peter. So you know you butt against that difficulty there. Uh, so wait a second. Um, second Peter, it, between Jude and second Peter, one obviously copied the other. It's concept by concept in the, in the actual, in just in the, in the same order, uh, with some, with some other inter interjections. Now, number one is this amongst the knowledgeable scholarly, uh, scholars is, uh, they would tell you that it's always the longer the longer um, letter is always the one that is the the one that's copied off the shorter letter. They wanted to add to things. They wanted to copy from things. It's usually the longer one that's the one that's, that's added. Uh, so we got that particular concept that scholars would agree with. 
Plus, we have the the uh, lots of evidence that Second Peter is a forgery in the sense that I mean, uh, not only was it copied from Jude, a lot of it was, uh, but it was it's also in a in a different writing style as First Peter, as if it was somebody else who wrote it according to the ancient Greek manuscripts and the scholars that study those. That's why they come up to that conclusion. Doesn't sound like Peter. Doesn't it's it's a completely different writing and way of it's it, it's so different than second peter first peter and a lot of people don't even think the first peter was actually authentic either but regardless second peter for sure i mean you can't be sure about anything when it comes to talking about something that happened two thousand years ago but i mean virtually certain second peter was a forgery now with that in mind what would they be talking about whoever whoever wrote second peter what would what would the author be talking about? Why would they say uh, verse fourteen? It starts by talking about making make every effort to be spotless, blameless. Um, bear in mind the Lord's patience. Okay, so I'll just read it right word for word. Bear bear in mind the Lord's patience. The Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul uh, also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Uh, he writes he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. He writes uh, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do to the uh, to the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of lawlessness. And so the whole the whole con the whole context of mention, mentioning Paul here is in the context of lawlessness, being spotless, blameless, um, you know, not twisting the word the, the the letters of Paul to your own destruction. How could someone twist the letters of Paul to their own destruction by saying it's it's faith alone and not by works? And it's okay. You you can go and sin your your brains out and still go to heaven. That you know the hyper grace. The greasy grace, hyper grace, counterfeit grace gospel. That Chris, I, I would. This is some. This is a point you made earlier that I. I just. I, I'd have to vehemently disagree with. I. I know you deny imputation, but I am totally convinced that the imputation of Christ's righteousness causes a transformation of life. That where you quoted First John, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. The one that does righteousness does righteousness because because of imputation. They don't do righteousness to See, be accepted. They you you, you are mi you are mixing I, I, Paul with John there. You're taking someone that is as as erroneous as Paul, and you're trying to interject Paul into John. Don't work. Well, I'm I'm not because because once again, even First John affirms he, he uh, affirms the regeneration. He he starts with. He, he who has been born of God loves God. So we've been, once again, I would say that being born again is a monergistic work of God in us. And that monergistic work causes righteousness to show in one's life. I don't have to borrow from Paul because First John affirms the doctrine of rebirth. And John himself affirms the doctrine of rebirth. So when and I'm I, talking, I, I don't, I don't agree with the. I mean, I don't disagree with the the, the doctrine of rebirth at all. I'm not saying I, I. I think it's awesome. I think that everybody needs to have the to be reborn. Everybody, 
needs to be reborn. Yeah, that's that's a requirement. But once again, do we cause ourselves to be reborn? James one eighteen of his own will begat he us by the word of truth. It doesn't say anything that our will begets us into the kingdom. It's God's will that regenerates us, and and it's totally of his mercy in doing so. And once that happens, righteousness flows from that gracious act. I don't believe that a person, once again, you know, the whole part of the new covenant is giving a new heart and a new spirit to walk in the commandments of the Lord. That's regeneration. I'm not going to. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so I mean, you, you, one thing you're you're emphasizing, and I'm going to agree with you, is that easy believism isn't biblical. I, but also, believing is an act of grace that God saves us from. I mean, saves us with, I should say. Yeah, he saves us out of unbelief. Have you seen my video about grace? It's just a short little TikTok. I may, or may or may not have. Does it have grace as the uh, subtitle? I think so. Yeah, yeah so just basically, the word grace yeah, over it. Yeah, basically, that's you know, I say that everything we do is by grace, right? I mean, every uh, like this is this is this is how I I read the scriptures. This is how I see it. Is that you know, it's by grace that God did everything. He He created the world by grace. He created mankind by grace. He gave His beloved people His instructions by grace. He gave Moses the law by grace. He gave his people the ability to obey that law by grace. And by grace, he sees that and he and he and he declares them righteous by grace, yeah. according to the word of God, according to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse twenty five, according that, to first John chapter three, verse seven. It's just I'm so gonna have clear to disagree that I'm going to have to disagree that law keeping is the basis for being righteous in God's sight. Well, I believe that Christ keeping the law is the basis for our righteousness and that he gives that he gives that to our credit abraham believed god and it was imputed to him for righteousness that word if you look in the septuagint and do a cross a cross examination of what it means to be accounted and and imputed it's the same exact idea many people believe that again paul got that wrong and that james actually got that right that abraham because of his works, got the righteousness. And according to, if you look at the actual scripture in Genesis, where it says, and he counted it to him as righteousness. A lot of people believe that the he is not God, it's Abraham. Abraham believed God because Abraham saw that God was righteous. He doesn't lie. So Abraham, God... God said to Abraham, your seed will be as numerous as the stars and uh, all this kind of stuff. And so Abraham believed that because he saw that God was righteous. Well, that's he, where you God, have to look at the inspiration of the Hebrew and see the personal pronouns to see who's being addressed. Because the Hebrew will tell you who the he and who the him and who the her and who all those pronouns are actually referring to. And that's how you would get the clarity. Did Abraham have the law of God? He did not. Hello? Yep. Uh, just a second here. No, it was, uh, what, it was like 400 years before. Okay. Wasn't it? 
So you're saying he he was righteous. I mean, he didn't have the law of God, so he must have been righteous because of faith. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I'm saying um, my understanding, and this is what I'll, I'll affirm. I, I don't know if you'll agree with it. My understanding is that every believer in the Old Testament was justified by either. Oh, I'm getting a phone call. Uh, I'm just going to finish this up. Hopefully you can still hear me. Justified either by um, the coming of Christ or by Christ already having came and him walking in perfect obedience of the law. I got to go. Thank you for having me. Okay. Be blessed, brother. Yeah, I see we have in the comments there, um, Genesis 26, verse 5. I was just about to pull that out, and uh, I'll read it. I'll read that now, right now, anyway. So uh, let me start at Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. I hope that our dear brother there listens to this afterwards or, is, or hears me somehow otherwise. Um, Genesis 26, verse 4, and I will make your seed. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and give unto your seed all these countries. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And my laws. So Abraham did have the Torah, just as every other patriarch from Adam all the way through to Moses had the Torah. We see that very, very clearly. Okay, guys, it's getting late. It is like four and a half hours, and I am very, very tired here. So I am going to wrap this up. And um, in case you're listening to this uh, after the fact, uh, Foundations um, for Life or Josh, um, we can pick it up another time. Okay, guys, thank you very much for for listening, and uh, thank you very much for your questions and your comments. And I'm sorry I couldn't get to them all. Um, please, if you don't mind, come back tomorrow evening, and we're 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 live every single day, every evening, except for Saturday. Uh, every evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. Sunday through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, and Sunday we go live at 2 p.m. Eastern. So yes, we go live every day by the grace of God. And, uh, you know, God willing, we'll be back here tomorrow night, same time, same place, 7 p.m. And so thanks again, you guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks for, for your fellowship and for, um, for your questions and your comments. All right. Um, yeah, once again, Saturday morning, I I am speaking. Uh, I am speaking. Uh, Doctor Snyder has asked me to speak uh, for um, uh, uh, speak on his Sabbath service. So I am going to be speaking on uh, on the Sabbath uh, on Saturday uh, for Doctor Snyder. I'm not sure exactly what time it is. I think it starts like 11, 1130 in the morning, something like that. So I'll have to contact him still get, get, a, get the specifics there. But um, Lord willing, I'll be um, doing that as well as our regular everyday uh, live stream. So if you haven't, um, if you're not subscribed or if you're not following, make sure you, you follow and subscribe. 
and make sure you have those notifications on. So when we do go live, you can jump right on and, uh, and join in, join in the party. All right, guys, thanks again. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. Keep fighting, keep fighting for the truth. Keep fighting for, for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, I'll see you again tomorrow night. As always, I pray for each one of you within the sound of my voice. I know we have a podcast still going here as well. That the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.